everyone, this is Angela Bowen, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, last year around this time in December, I did some movie commentary reviews. I did Home Alone, and I decided this year I'm going to do Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. So I got the IMDb page up for those of you who may not have seen Home Alone 2 Lost in New York or those of you that just need a refresher. So, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York came out in 1992. And here's the synopsis. One year after Kevin McAllister was left home alone and had to defeat a pair of bumbling burglars, he accidentally finds himself stranded in New York City, and the same criminals are not far behind. This episode has a 6.7 out of 10 based on 250,003 ratings. This was directed by Chris Columbus, who also directed the first Home Alone. Also, writers John Hughes. Well, writer John Hughes. <laughs> oh, it's got awards. Three wins, three nominations. Uh, Joe Pesci, American Comedy Award nominee. By, let's see, John Williams, BMI Film Music Award winner. Golden Screen Germany. Kids Choice Award nominee. The Golden Screen Germany was a winner. Macaulay Culkin got the Blimp Award. I did not know that the Kids Choice Awards was going on way back in 93. Granted, I didn't have cable then, so it probably, you know, probably was. <laughs> um, Let's see. People's Choice Awards, winner, 93. Favorite comedy motion picture, tied with Sister Act, which I've seen. It was a good, it was a good movie. Young Artist Award nominee, best youth actress, leading role in motion picture, comedy, Santa Ro- Moses McCann. Who is she? This is in 94. The movie came out. I don't know. Let's see here. Ooh, we got some trivia. So, oh, okay. Oh, um, I'm picking up Mickey D's for, um, dinner tonight, and Jeremy just texted me what he wanted, a mushroom Swiss burger. I don't eat burgers at McDonald's anymore after, it's been almost three years since I got sick, like, really sick from eating one, and I just said, I'm not having burgers anymore. Give me a chicken sandwich, or I primarily stick with the nuggets. I have not had any issues with the nuggets. So, yeah. Um, Back to the trivia. (laughs) Several of the cameras froze during production of the film because it was so cold. (laughs) Macaulay Culkin was paid $4,500,000 to star in the film, the biggest salary ever to a 12-year-old child actor. All of the children who appeared in the Toy Story scene were allowed to take their favorite toy home as part of their salary. Even though it didn't work, Macaulay Culkin was allowed to keep the talk boy. My cousin, this is kind of ironic, my cousin Kevin had a talk boy. And we all, I remember us all like playing with it. And we were like, um, recording like a Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like some scenes from it. And then we'd like play the tape back in like slow mo or fast. Fast made it sound like Elvin and the Chipmunks, which 
I I need to watch the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. The the first one. I didn't care for the other ones that came out, but um the first one is set around Christmas for part of it and I missed it last year, so I'm trying to like get to the one this year I'm trying to get to the ones that I kinda skipped over or missed last year, like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I watched that one which I didn't watch last year. I'd like to get to it's in a, it's a wonderful life, but that's what tonight's... I, I took tonight off because... Well, today, because I had a doctor's appointment. I know I'm, like, on a tangent here, but um, I can't remember if I brought this up on the podcast. You know, with my coughing and stuff. It was supposed to have, like, this pH probe thing done where they stick a tube up your nose. And the thing is, I had the, the camera thing that they shoved up my nose to kind of see my vocal cords... But this thing that was supposed to be in for 24 hours, they stick the tube up there and, you know, I'm supposed to, like, like put into this little monitor thing, like, when I fall asleep, um, when I eat something, when I drink something, and it's just, the guy was putting the thing up there, and I was already, I was a little irritated, like, this just seems like a lot of work. And as he was putting the tube up there, I finally, I just, he barely got it in. He's like, you need to relax your face. And I'm just, I finally said, I can't do this. I can't, we need to, I have to go another route or do something else because this is not going to work for me. So we did not do the pH probe. I know I sound like a sissy baby, but I just, I did not like that since I didn't like it when they shoved that camera up my nose like that either. And the thought of having that in my nose for 24 hours just did not sit with me, so we'll look into another option then, because I don't want to do that. And the coughing, honestly, has not been that bad. But, alright, now let's get back onto Home Alone, guys. I'm sorry I delved into my personal life just a bit, but um, I had to... I was just talking to my cat Quinn about it. She could care less. She probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about, but... And I told, I called Jeremy after I left and said I couldn't go through with it, so. Um, more trivia. After one scene, Macaulay Culkin asked Joe Pesci why he never smiled. Pesci told him to shut up. At the time, Pesci said, he's pampered a lot by a lot of people, but not me, and I think he likes that. The only Home Alone film to feature real snow. A snow machine was used for certain scenes, but a blizzard engulfed the set before the shoot, providing more snow than anticipated. Well, there you go. Hey, that maybe cut down on that snow budget, that, that fake snow budget that they didn't have to use. The movie was actually shot at the plaza in a Central Park suite. The phone number given for the plaza in the movie was an actual working number. A real version of the talk boy, the tape recorder... Kevin plays with in the movie was created by Tiger Electronics shortly after the film's release, along with its pink and purple counterpart, the talk girl. I bet I would have loved that as a kid. Why didn't I get one of those? The Tiger Electronics that I was familiar with was the handheld games. Um, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. I think those are the three ones that I got. In Home Alone, Kevin watches a movie called Angels with Filthy Souls. In this sequel, he watches that film sequel, Angels with Even Filthier Souls. 
Entertainment Weekly had a doctor analyze, and I saw this on YouTube, uh, doctors were kind of analyzing um, the actual effects of the injuries to Harry and Marv, what they would be. Bricks to the face would have caused at best brain damage or worse death. Oh, hell yes! I can't even imagine having a, throwing a brick at someone's face and having them live to tell, tell the tale. Kevin's room service bill indicates that he ordered two chocolate cakes, six chocolate mousses with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream topped with M&Ms, chocolate sprinkles, cherries, nuts, marshmallows, caramel syrup, chocolate syrup, strawberry syrup, whipped cream, and bananas, six custard flans. Do Kevin even know what a flan is? A pastry cart. What is this, Harry Potter? Eight strawberry tarts and 36 chocolate-covered cherries. 30! Kevin, do you need 36 chocolate-covered cherries? You were one 10-year-old boy. How in the hell did he not be throwing up the whole damn night from all that food? I wouldn't even be able to eat all that damn food. The hotel operator with whom Kevin makes a reservation pretending to be his father is played by Chris Columbus's wife, Monica Devereaux. The swimming pool scene was shot at the Four Seasons in Chicago, Illinois, due to the fact that the Plaza Hotel doesn't have a swimming pool located on site. Well, why not? Plaza Hotel, you're supposed to be the end-all, be-all of all hotels in the world. The best of the best, right? Why do you not have a pool on site? The airport scenes were exponentially more difficult to shoot than the first film. The airport had to stay operational during filming, and Macaulay Culkin's newfound celebrity status required extra security due to fans and paparazzi. The scenes at O'Hare International Airport were filmed in February 91 and kept their Christmas decorations up for the occasion. <clears throat> well, that was nice. The carpet was removed from the plaza lobby for one scene so that Macaulay Culkin could slip and slide on the floor. Plaza owner Donald Trump liked it so much he never had it refitted. The scene when the man sitting next to Kevin on the plane starts speaking in French is translated into Spanish on the DVD's French audio setting. Okay. Daniel Stern said a pigeon really flew into his mouth. That was revolting. How? It flew into his mouth? They're not small. Ugh. John Candy was at one point going to do a cameo in this movie. Why? I mean, it would have been cool. I mean, this would have been towards the end of his life, right? The toy store Duncan's Toy Chest is named after executive producer Duncan Henderson. The toy store itself is the film's version of an actual New York store FAO Schwartz, the exterior of the store is that of the Rookery building in downtown Chicago, Illinois. Is FAO Schwartz even operational anymore? <clears throat> I'm wondering. I thought they, like, filed for bankruptcy, along with every other thing. Director Trademark, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, 1990, and this film, both directed by Columbus and Gremlins, Scripted by Columbus, all feature video clips from It's a Wonderful... That's right. And Home Alone had uh, Miracle on 34th Street. The original working title was Alone Again. Oh, no! Are you serious? Alone Again? Ugh, just stick with Home Alone. It fits. 
Let's see. Frank Oz, after Harry Lime and Marv... I never knew their last names, and Harry's last name is Lime. Marv Merchants? Lee, who's Frank Oz? Leave the fish market and walk down the sidewalk. Marv steals money from the red donation can. Right after Marv says, now we're the sticky bandits, the scene changes. Frank Oz places money into the red donation can and walks away. Director Chris Columbus, sorry. Ooh. Director Chris Columbus admits on the audio commentary for Home Alone, this film was to some extent a remake of the first film. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop. There's so much trivia here. I would go on for days and days. And you guys could probably look all of this up yourselves, too. I'm not going to bore you anymore. There's a lot of songs. Um, ooh! One or alternate virgin. When air on TV, the scene where Kevin visits the World Trade Center is cut due to the September 11 attacks. Well, that, that's understandable. Definitely, definitely. Filming locations, Plaza Hotel, World Trade Center, Manhattan, Hotel Suite at the end of the movie, Uptown Theater, Central Park, Hotel Pool, O'Hare National Airport, Airport, Family Home, 671 Lincoln Avenue, Winneka, Illinois. Cool. Box office, 18 mil was the budget, 31 million the opening weekend, 31 Million one hundred twenty-six thousand eight hundred eighty-two, grossed three hundred fifty-eight million worldwide, nine hundred ninety-one thousand six hundred eighty-one. Um, if you're familiar with Home Alone, which of course you are, if you're listening to this review, you've seen the sequel. The girl who plays is it Liz? The blonde girl with the braces from the first movie, Kevin's sister, she is played by a different actress. So I'm guessing they asked the girl to come back and maybe she didn't want to. Or she, I think that girl was in a short-lived TV show with Judith Light and Ashley Johnson about a tennis player. I think I um, was looking that up, so. All right, without further ado, let's get into Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Also, real quick, I just want to do... Uh, how I got into Home Alone. My aunt, I never saw the first Home Alone in the theater. My aunt bought it for her kids. I actually got to take the, the VHS copy in 1990, got to take it to school, and we watched it, I think it was right before uh, the holidays. Uh, the sequel is the one that I saw in the theater, the uh, this movie, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. And I went, my grandma usually was the one that took me to see the movies. On occasion, my aunt would take me, you know, along with her kids and stuff like that. But it was mainly my grandma. And my grandma usually fell asleep at the movies. Um, we never got pop or popcorn. Usually you just get, like, uh, go to, like, the Kmart nearby and just grab, like, a, I got a payday bar. I always got a payday bar. Um, but, yeah. It was a good movie. And then I think the previous year, um, I would have gotten Home Alone, my own copy for Christmas of Home Alone. So that was pretty awesome. And then I got Home Alone 2. I got that for my birthday, my, uh, 11th birthday. So that was pretty awesome. All right, you know, I got the subtitles on, so all the chitter-chatter you 
would hear like you know when you see the house come into view and you hear all the you know all the everyone talking at once you can hear some of what they're saying and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you what they're saying so of course the first thing to pop up here in the subtitles is buzz asking rod do they have nude beaches in florida Again with the nude beaches, Buzz. Really? They might. I don't think. Do that. I'm going to go look that up right now. Well, Buzz, you know what, buddy? You are in luck. There are at least four places in Orlando that are fairly close to each other. Uh, let's see. There's a nudist resort and spa. Uh, and... Interesting. Um, oh, and there's even a website, Top Nude Beaches in Florida. Visit Florida. Oh my gosh, it's got some guy just sitting with his bare ass on a blanket in the sand. And that lady sitting in a chair underneath an umbrella. Of course, they both have uh, sunglasses on because, you know, the sun is bright and maybe they don't want to get recognized. <laughs> Some girl just says, girl, where are my magazines? Yes, because you're going to want something to read on the plane. They're going to Florida. How? That's not that far away, I didn't think. I, I didn't think it's too far. Frank, of course, annoying-ass Uncle Frank, is screaming at his wife, Leslie. Leslie, where are my golf balls? Off, Uncle Frank. Now people are talking about sunblock. Tracy, can I, could I get a string bikini in Florida? Girl, you do not need a string bikini. You are a teenager. Leslie's reminding them to pack the beach tile, towel. So Uncle Frank is running. Everyone's all over the place in this house. We see the entry to the, you know, going up the stairs and everything. And Uncle Frank is lugging a heavy golf bag. Like, where are my golf balls? Wouldn't they be in there? Buzz is yakking about pizza, because, you know, I'm the only guy who likes pizza. No, you're not. Everyone loves pizza. We don't get a pizza scene from this family, I don't think. Still talking about the sunblock here, and, uh, like, oh, what's the point of going to Florida if you're gonna put on sunblock? And then the other girl's like, oh, I don't care if I age like an old suitcase, I'm getting toasted. And then, of course, Buzz has to come down like, great, you, you'll be a skag with a slightly darker shade of skin. Buzz, you are a fucking asshole. I hate him. He was heading up the stairs because he had to grab his uh, choir uniform. Because there's a big cho Christmas choir concert at, like, their church or for the school. Those kids are probably all in private school. Well, it looks like we've graduated from Coca-Cola to the number one and all be all my favorite drink of choice, Coca-Cola, well, Diet Coke, or Diet Coke caffeine-free, or Diet Coke caffeine-free vanilla, which you can only get at those fountain machines at, like, a Meyer or, uh, some Wendy's, not all Wendy's that I've been to have it, some, um, Burger Kings here do have it, which is all, every restaurant, I feel, should have that option, you get a lot more choices of drinks, Instead of just your average, what, maybe five to six different choices? Yeah. Because Fuller comes in chugging this can of Coke, and Frank is like, easy on the fluids, pal. The rubber sheets are packed. Well, 
Yeah, just have a cutoff time. Like, 8 o'clock, you are not drinking any liquids, especially no pop. I call it pop. Um, I had a cutoff time for me because when I was young, I went to bed. And they basically said, after 8 o'clock, you have no liquids whatsoever. Unless you need water. But that's it. Although my issues with that was more, it was more emotional, so... So, Uncle Frank just rips the can out of Fuller's hand and just chugs it himself. Yeah, I'm really sure that the hotel you're staying at wants your son pissing all over their bed. That's probably why they have those rubber sheets. So, Kevin's upstairs watching a game show on his parents' TV. You know what I noticed? None of the other kids are hanging out in Mom and Dad's room. It's always Kevin. He's got himself comfortable, he's got his talk boy, he's playing around with it, recording the Ding Dang Dong game show. Bob Eubanks is hosting. So, Catherine O'Hara, she plays Kate. Remember in the first movie where her hair was, like, kind of, um, just above her shoulders? Really nice. She has it kind of cut, like, short, like, short, like, um, just, like, below her like the side of it's just it, she's got a short short hair short haircut here it's nice i i like the other better but it's you know it's her hair it's her prerogative she probably did that herself because she wanted to i doubt that was something that the director said hey cut your hair we want a different look for you so she makes sure like hey kevin did you pack all your suitcases it packed and he talks goes into his talk boys like yes and then he plays back for, and he says, yes. And she's like, everything that I put out for you? And he says, yes. And he plays it back for her again. It's like, okay, that would get old very fast. Like, you already told me yes once. I, I don't need you to give me another confirmation here. So apparently Grandma Penelope only sent Kevin a gift. And Kevin is like, let me guess, Donald Duxley. Are, are these the same grandparents that sent him the, um... The sweater with, like, a bird knitted on it or a train or a dinosaur or something. Because he was complaining about that in the first movie to uh, Old Man Marley. He's like, let me guess, Donald Duck slippers? And Kate's like, no, an inflatable clown to play with in the pool. Because she thinks you're five and not ten. <laughs> and Kevin just thinks, like, oh, great, thank you. Tell her I said thanks. <laughs> that will come in handy later, though, luckily for him. It's a giant bozo! Aww! I remember watching Bozo on Saturday mornings. <laughs> remember those, how they'd have, like, those balloons that would be filled with, like, cream or something? And you'd, like, have to stick them between your legs and you'd have to, like, duck walk. And if you popped the balloon, then you lost. I love Kevin's dry response as he takes the, uh, the plastic, uh, inflatable thing from Kate. Like, oh, how exciting. Thanks. Ugh. Kevin, consider yourself lucky. None of your other siblings are getting anything from your grandmother. Well, maybe they don't want anything from her because, I don't know. So, Kevin is all like, hey, why do we have to go to Florida? There are no Christmas trees in Florida. There might be. Maybe they get shipped in from another state. Kate doesn't understand. Like, what is it with you and Christmas trees, Kevin? We'll decorate a palm tree. It'll be fine. Like, really, Mom? Seriously? You cannot have Christmas without a Christmas tree. Well, is that really true? Is that really true? 
My dad has had a Christmas tree for years, but then again, I mean, who else is going to enjoy it but, you know, him and Pam? So, I remember <laughs> my dad, for the longest time he would, um, when we were younger, he would get the real tree and, you know, cut it down and bring it home, and then he'd put it in, um, that little tree stand thing that had, like, a thing that, like, put wa to water the tree and everything, and, you know, string lights and put all the ornaments on it, and it was cool. But then, of course, every once in a while, you, you get the, the needles that would fall and pray that you are not walking around barefoot. Because those things can get embedded in the carpet, and you're walking along, just mind your own business, and... <laughs> yeah, so, um... <laughs> but eventually, we did um, move on to fake trees, and my dad would always get the sad said the poorest Charlie Brown fake tree ever. One of them actually we had to put it on a, the stand on a box and it was like leaning to the side. That's I think my dad eventually just stopped caring. I don't care. Here's your fake tree. Put your crap on it. <laughs> so she tries to just tell Kevin like hey I'll compromise with you. We'll find a nice fake silver one. You can just fake, find a fake green one. A tree is a tree is a Christmas tree, Kevin. Does it really matter if it's real? I mean, props to people. I mean, you want your real tree? That's awesome. I love real trees, too. But financially, I just, like, we had, um, <coughs> Jeremy's mom had moved into an apartment. And, you know, she didn't have room for a, a big tree. So I have this little, you know, artificial light-up tree. And I'm like, here, I will give you this. And then she gave us the big tree. Unfortunately, due to having a cat, she liked... This started, um, sh the Christmas that, uh, I got her in June of 2013. Or no, in August. December 3rd, 2013 was her first Christmas. She would not stay out of the... She'd climb right into the tree. Eventually, we were like, hey, let's get one of these plastic fences to put around the tree. Didn't matter. She'd still climb into it. To the point where she was probably chewing on things that she shouldn't have been. And only part of the tree was lit... Like, the top and the bottom part were lit up, but then the middle was not. So, we would put some, you know... I had to buy a set of lights to kind of fill in that area. And then finally Jeremy said, you know what, this is not even worth it anymore. And we just, we got rid of that tree and we just have the little tabletop one, which is fine, which is fine. We just put it on um, an end table and everything. And she doesn't do, she doesn't touch it. She doesn't do anything to it. So, plus she weighs 14 pounds. I'm trying to get her to... At least 12. For the longest time, she stayed at 13 pounds. But, um, trying to... That's our goal next year. Right, Quinn? We'll both lose weight? Yeah? Okay. She, she She's not paying attention. She don't care. So, the game show Kevin's watching breaks for commercial. Up comes the Plaza Hotel commercial. Kevin is recording it on his Talkboy, which will definitely come in handy later. Peter comes in. R.I.P. John Hurd. You are very missed. We missed you. Um, he comes in like, honey, I got the camcorder here to take to the choir concert. Do you have the battery for it? And she's like, oh, yeah, I put it in the charger. So remember the first movie. The reason their alarm did not go off was because there was a storm. The power went out. This is a little different. This is something they could have easily solved because he 
pulls... Let me play it here. So he looks like he pulls it out of the, the wall and then it unplugs the alarm clock. He plugs the alarm clock back in, but they forgot to set it. It looks like the alarm is set originally and the, the the dial on it is set, but it's still, they would have to reset that clock. And I can't believe nobody has a watch that they can set on their wrist to get up at a certain time. No one else. It's all put on Kate and Peter. I think that is that is ridiculous. So Peter stands back up and he's like, hey, Kate, how's my tie look? Does it look good? And she's oh, yeah, yeah, it looks good. He does not, neither of them are look, even turn their head to look at the alarm clock. Like, oh, that's flashing. Even when they come home that night, they're still, they're not looking at it. You would notice a, a clock that's, even if they turned out all the lights, you're going to see it, it, the alarm clock, the, the numbers are red. You're going to see that flashing. So, Peter points to Kevin, like, hey, Kev, you better get your tie on. And he's like, well, I can't. My tie is in the bathroom. Uncle Frank is taking a shower. He said if I walked in and saw him naked and never grow up feeling like a real man. So, so what is he saying? Like, oh, if I see my uncle naked, it'll turn me gay? No. So, Peter kind of laughs at that, like, <laughs> and then Kate just looks at him like, what? I don't, I don't know. Honey, that's not funny. Peter's like, fine, 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 fine. Um, you know, just go in there, get your tie, keep your eyeballs closed, don't look at anything, and let's go because we don't need to be late for this Christmas pageant. Ugh. So, is this Kevin's room? I'm guessing it looks like there's a bunk bed there. But, oh my goodness, Frank is taking a shower. His the damn door is opened a little bit. Anybody who's anybody who could walk in there and see his disgusting naked ass. So and he sings his singing is pure awfulness. He's singing cool jerk. Which the first time I ever even remotely heard of that song was through here, and then I think I might have heard on the radio, like, hey, that's a song that Kevin's Uncle Frank sings in the bathroom. That man is using a lot of hot water, because we got, like, steam rolling out of that uh, crack in the doorway there. So Tem Kevin, <laughs> with his eyes closed, reaches around to the doorknob on the inside of the door, grabs his tie... And he's just standing, he's, he's recording all of his uncle's singing. And he starts smirking. How the hell? How does Uncle Frank hear him smirking over his screaming cat singing? Yeah, how does he hear Kevin's like... <laughs> you don't even really hear him less laughing. You hear <laughs> behind his hand. You can't hear that. But apparently, Uncle Frank's got some very, very powerful supersonic hearing as he stops what he's doing, pulls the curtain back just enough for his head and shoulders to be visible, screams at Kevin, get out of here, you nosy little pervert, or I'm going to slap you silly. silly. Like, you are a fucking asshole. You, do you speak to your kids that way? Damn, I hate Uncle Frank. I fucking 
fucking hate his ass. I hope they leave him in fucking Florida, but they don't. So the school looks like uh, they attend is St. Gerard School. But the thing is, Buzz has got to be a senior in high school, right? Kevin's probably in fifth grade. So this school teaches grades K through 12, I guess, which is really hard to believe. Oh, we see a nice colorful banner uh, right outside the doorway of the school that says Christmas pageant tonight, 7 p.m. So not only are Buzz and Kevin in this, but also um, Peter and Kate's son, Jeff, who it's interesting looking at a photo, like in the last movie, you saw a photo of all the family together. So they have two blonde kids, a daughter and Kevin. They have two boys that have red hair, thanks to Kate. Uh, Peter's probably got, like, brownish hair. And then, of course, they have a daughter. Um, what the fuck is her name? I can't remember. Um, she's a brunette. So, um, Kate is whispering to Peter, like, hey, Peter, tell Leslie and Frank that Kevin Solo's coming up. And Frank is fu- Leave his ass home! He is fucking snoring! What the hell? I would have slapped his fucking face. That guy is so... Why would you sleep at a pageant? If you didn't want to go, you didn't fucking have to. Because I don't think your damn kids are even in this fucking... Because he lives in Ohio! His kids aren't even in this damn pageant. Why is he there? He's not there to support them. He can just stay the hell home. Or at his brother's house. He did not need to come. He did not need to be there. So Kevin Solo's coming up. Behind him, Buzz is standing right behind him. There's a kid with glasses who looks about Kevin's age. And I can't tell if Buzz rips the other candle, this fake lighted candle, out of this boy's hand or whether he just, the boy with the glasses, gives this candle up willingly. And he's sticking both candles, one on either side of Kevin's ear, so it makes it look like Kevin's ears are glowing. There's a guy that looks like he's 22 or 25 standing next to Buzz, who I swear has got a goatee. That guy is not in high school. He is a college student. I don't know. <laughs> that guy is too damn he's older looking the buzz so buzz is being a real dick here um i can only imagine what this looks like the all oh go this boy's ears are on fire they're glowing that's such a cool effect they're laughing the whole damn audience is cracking up like it's the funniest fucking thing they've ever seen in their life it's not none of those adults are mature and Kate and Peter are like, what in the world? I would be pissed, more pissed at Buzz than anything else. But the fact that Kevin figures out, okay, something's going on behind me that I can't tell because I'm trying to sing my solo here. This is a big year for me. The first time I ever got to do this, I was a little nervous. And now you ruined that for me, Buzz. Thanks a lot. He turns around. Sees what Buzz is doing as Buzz tries to, like, look the other way and, like, feign innocence. Like, oh, no, no, I, I didn't do anything. No. Kevin Wallace. He just, like, like, 
pushes him. And mind you, these kids are all standing on risers. But he pushes Buzz, and it's like a tidal wave or a domino effect. Everybody. So the, the kids that are standing up alongside Kevin are starting to, like, look at him and laugh. Before, you know, Kevin realizes what Buzz is doing. And Buzz is, like, pretending Kevin's head is a drum as he's, like, pretending to drum on his head. Like, what the fudge? And the lady playing the piano is looking around like, what the hell? What is going on? I'm trying to play the, my, the piano here. I'm trying to do my job. And you're all laughing. Like, this is the funniest thing since... I, I, I like, one of those funny cat videos or something. Kate is like, oh my gosh, and Peter is just like, are you kidding me right now? So they're going to be pissed at Buzz, because Buzz is the one that is orchestrating this whole thing, and he's running this way. Leslie's trying to get Frank to shut the fuck up, because now that he's awake, he's all like, <laughs> like, Frank, shut up, or I'll fucking rip your balls off. So Kevin Solo's done. The other boy with the glasses takes over, and... He looks at Buzz, and Buzz is just fainting, and like, oh, I'm not doing anything. Oh, he really, okay, Kevin really shoves Buzz, like, hits him in the shoulder. Ugh. Open palm, boom, pushes. They're on the back of risers, of course, when he pushes Buzz, Buzz falls into this guy, who knocks. How are these other people falling? This is how the fuck you hit somebody who's on who's behind you yet the kids in front of you are falling? Come on. Cuz the kids that are f behind him are all falling like back like off the risers. So how are the kids in front of him falling forward? And apparently that commotion causes this fake wooden Christmas tree to fall forward out of the piano, knocking the woman back, who's probably on the stage with the kids. Oh, that lady went flying backwards. Whoa! I mean, oh my gosh, she took a tumble. She's probably going to the emergency room. So the kids all fall like dominoes. Kevin is left standing, like, oh, and his mom, Kate, just stands up and screams, Kevin, oh my gosh, why'd you do that? Now they're having a discussion with the whole family about what Kevin did. Because even though, yeah, we'll get to it. So Ke Buzz is pretending to be a lawyer as he's like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I apologize for whatever displeasure I may have caused you. And Kevin's just looking at him like, what? What? Buzz, you're watching too much People's Court. As Buzz also says, my prank was immature and ill-timed. As Frank and Fuller are all like, oh, ill-timed, sure, but it was pretty damn hilarious. Like, that was not hilarious. And Kate and P Peter look at Frank like, what is your problem? We're all trying to be serious here and you're cracking up like an idiot. This is so damn fake, and Kevin sees this a mile away, because Buzz is like, oh, I'd also like to apologize to my brother Kevin. Kevin, I'm sorry. Like, Kevin is not buying your bullshit. The fact that your family's buying your bullshit, Buzz, is really sad that your family is that gullible. He's got them! He's got them whipped! He's got them whipped! 
As Katie's like, oh, Buzz, that was so nice. Kate, get your head out of your ass and realize your son is a piece of shit. I hate you, Buzz. I'm not... I think I hate Frank more. The family is applauding Buzz because he apologized like, oh, he's being the bigger person. He's apologizing to Kevin. So Kate turns to Kevin. Kevin, do you have anything to say on your behalf? And the family just looks at him like, oh, here we go. What's he going to say? This family are, oh, they're such buttholes to Kevin. So before Kevin can even speak, Buzz covers his mouth like, or the side of his face with his hand as he whispers to Kevin, beat that, you little trout never. Like, yeah, of course. Yep, it was all for show. Buzz, the asshole, piece of shit. And Kevin tells the truth. He's like, hey, I'm not sorry for what I did. I hit Buzz because he humiliated me. He gets away with everything, so I let him have it. It's like, yeah. And then he also calls the family out, like, since you're all so stupid to believe his lies... Like, so Kevin decides to hit them with the Florida trip. I don't care if your idiotic Florida trip gets rooked. Buddy, um, I get that you're angry, and that's great, but what does the Florida trip have to do with anything? It's like, I know that you don't want to go, which is, you know, fine on you. You don't want to go. But that's not really helping your argument. It's almost like... Someone's arguing about why they, they did what they did, but then they add in something that has nothing to do with it. Like, that's not supporting your argument. He really does not want to spend Christmas in a tropical climate. Like, buddy, it's just... Why do they have to spend Christmas there anyway? Why can't they go, like, the week before Christmas, come back home, and have Christmas there? At their house. So, mic drop, Kevin... Starts to walk out. Kate is like, Kevin. And Peter adds, Kevin, if you walk out of here, you're sleeping on the third floor. Ugh. What? What the hell? This family hates that boy. They clearly did not want him. Why didn't they just give him up to a family that actually wants that boy? And of course, Fuller, who's still... Drinking the Cokes, like, downing them, says, oh, yeah, you're going to sleep on the third floor with me. As I chug some more Coca-Cola, I'm going to pee all over you. Oh, and Frank, of course, has to add his two cents. You better not wreck my trip, you little sourpuss. Your dad is paying good money for it. I love what Kevin says here. He's like, oh, yeah, wouldn't want to wreck your trip, you fucking cheapskate piece of garbage. Because you probably don't even fucking work for a living. You probably getting handouts from your brother. Why is he paying for them? Why? That guy must work. He's got to. He's got like five damn kids. He, ugh. I mean, Peter, I'm sure you, you make more money than, than Frank, but seriously, it's like, yeah, we'll, like pay for your or go halvesies or something like we'll pay for your plane tickets but you're going to be paying for the room and the food like you're getting your own room you're paying for that or, or something like that but don't pay for the whole damn thing so kevin is this is 
a nice little bed. It almost looks like it's his room. And it's why do they always find like you're gonna sleep on the third floor? Kevin clearly has a room of his own. He has to. So he's kind of wallowing and everything and saying, oh, they're all a bunch of jerks. And he's right. They are. They're jerks. As Kate comes up and she's like, Kevin, you know, we had a little problem last year that started out just like this. And Kevin's like, yeah, with me getting crapped on. And she's like, I don't care for how you're talking to me right now. And it's like, um, first of all, Buzz lied to you. He did not mean what he said. He did not. He was not sincere. So when Kate is like, we had a little problem last year that started just like this, as in you are the problem. You started something and caused this big rift. And she's like, well, that's not what happened. You did not get crapped on. That's not what happened last time and that's not what's happening this time. It's like, the fuck it isn't! You came up there to blame him some more? Saying, oh! <sighs> so she's all like, well, Buzz apologized to you. He's like, no! He, yeah, sure! He supposedly did! And then he called me a trout sniffer, which, I don't know what that is. Um, Kate's like, well, you know what? Whatever. I don't care. When you're ready to apologize to Buzz, he's, she's making him apologize! You gotta be kidding my ass. And he pretty much says, you know what? No. No. If I had my own money, I'd go on my own vacay away the f way the hell away from you people because you all suck and you're terrible. And Kate, the thing she says to this is so cruel. Well, you got your wish last year. Maybe you'll get it again this year. That family does not deserve that child. They treat him like utter garbage. And if CPS were to come in, they take him away. That They are horrible to that poor boy. I mean, yeah, maybe Kevin can be a turd here and there, but come the hell on. So Kate leaves, and it's nighttime. We see... A piece of newspaper that says Chicago Sun-Times, wet bandits escape during prison riot. Oh, and below that says police warn of holiday break-ins. I noticed the, um, the pictures, the mugshots of Harry and Marv. Marv's got the, um, the, the feathers from, um, that are attached to his hat and his jacket. So they must have got him right into the police station and took their mug shots. So that pretty much lets us know, if we don't already, that uh, Harry and Marv, they're on the loose. They're out there. Now, of course, you've seen the first movie. You know that this is a running gag for this statue. That whenever a vehicle comes up there, it hits it and knocks the statue over. <clears throat> like the first movie, the McAllisters, of course, don't take their vehicles, so they just call the airport to come and get them. As the airport guy, uh, driver, knocks on the door, the family is awoken, like, oh my gosh, uh, what's going on? We see the clock has still not been set, it's flashing 12 o'clock. So, the doorbell rings, Kate and Peter are all like, oh my gosh, we did it again, as they jump out of bed, and they get in front of the camera and scream, like, that was so, I, I didn't like that, like, ah! like, 
please, not your cartoons. It's not funny. The family's all scrambling to get all their stuff together. It looks like most of it's packed, but we see a soccer a soccer ball, a frisbee being thrown. It looks like they're not even 100% packed. It's just utter chaos, people running back and forth. We got a giant inflatable ball being thrown back and forth. What in the world? So the family's rushing out the door. Kate says, all right, our McAllisters and this fan over here, you guys are in that one. And Frank is, of course, like, oh, I know I shouldn't complain about a free trip, but you guys give the worst darn wake-up calls. It's like, yeah, Frank, you shouldn't complain. Now shut the hell up. So she asks Frank, like, hey, you got the tickets? As Frank is running to the van, and Leslie's saying, nope, I got them. Here's your half for your family, and I got mine. Seven, seven equals 14. They each got five kids. So Kate's in the Everyone's in the van. They're squishing in the van, and Kate is handing out the boarding passes. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And her daughter is asking why, oh, Megan is asking, why are none of us sitting together? And Kate's like, this time of year, we're lucky to even get on the same damn plane. So, so Kate realizes she's got two boarding passes, her own and Kevin's. Like, where's Kevin? So at least she's like, where's my son, my youngest, my baby? Kevin turns around. He's hanging up front with the driver in the passenger seat. He's riding shotgun. He's like, hey, give me my uh, boarding pass in case you guys try to ditch me again, which I wouldn't be surprised if you did. I love how he rubs that in, like, it's good that I have my own ticket in case you guys try to ditch me. Because you probably would, because you're like that. So, they hop out of the van. See, this is the part that we missed, is them putting all their luggage onto a luggage cart. Kevin is complaining, like, hey, Dad, I need batteries. Buddy, you should, that talk boy, I'm not surprised, ran those batteries into the ground, because... When I had a portable CD player, even though it's not the same as a Talkboy, but I was lucky if I had three days. I had two days, and then by the third day, I was getting the blinking battery light. And then I told my coworker, I don't know why the hell I did this, thinking it would help, but I'd take the batteries out, and I'd rub them between my hands, thinking that that would help give them more juice. Because I usually had a long school bus ride. I mean, it wasn't an hour, but it was at least maybe a good maybe 30 plus minutes. Um, so Kevin's like, hey, dad, I need batteries. Peter's, his dad is like, hey, buddy, they're in my bag. I will give them to you when we get on the plane. And Kevin's like, no, no, I can get them. I can get them right now. And Kevin, or Peter's like, no, son, you can wait. Which is interesting that this works out that he does take Peter's bag because think about it. If this all had happened, like as plans is going to, and Kevin did not have his dad's bag, he would be fucked majorly. He would not have any money. He would not have, he would, he'd have nothing. Everything apparently is going to be in that bag. That's going to have everything that he needs, including his own bag. That's got stuff in it. So while his dad is getting um, the lug, help him get the luggage and finding out what gate they need to be at, Kevin is opening his dad's bag and he sees an envelope that's got cash in it and credit card, all that good stuff that he will need later. And Kevin in his left hand is holding the talk boy because it's got like um, a thing that you can slip your fingers through to hold, you know, 
hold on to it. But he probably ran through those batteries like no tomorrow with that thing. It's like, buddy, you got to pace yourself with that. Batteries are very expensive. So Kevin's running with his family as he's trying to get the batteries out of his dad's bag. He stops and gets separated from them as he's like, come on, get in there, get in there. Because everyone is running to the gate. And this is back in 1991 where they did not have to, I don't even think they had to go through security. They sure as hell did not have to take their shoes off and go through this spin, this thing that, you know, you know, and remove all of your items and put your phones and your this and your that into those plastic totes like we had to do this year. And the thing is, they're so distracted. Kate is especially distracted. You know, they're trying to get to the gate. They don't want to miss their plane. She was so like, oh my gosh, where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? Because, you know, she's sitting in the car. She's still technically at home. So if he wasn't there, like, go get him. Bring him out here. Now it's like, she's at the head of the pack and they're running. She's not looking at, like, where's, where's Kevin? Kevin, where are, Kevin, where's my boy? She's not. They're like, get to the gate. That is the main objective. Get to the gate so we don't miss our plane. Otherwise, we're screwed. And how interesting that apparently Peter's coat is pretty popular because there is another man that looks almost identical to Kevin's father from the back of him. This is what irritates me, Kev. Buddy, um, you have your dad's bag, bud. You can put that crap in the batteries in the thing when you sit down in your seat. Why is it so important that you need to have it right that damn second? Because you're not going to be able to use it as you're running through the airport. You're not going to be, you're not going to have time to like sit in a chair and wait. You are like, you got to go. So the family runs one way, and then Kevin, of course, is running in the direct opposite way because he thinks he's following his father. So everyone's trying to, you know, uh, get into the gate. Kate is kind of hanging back because now it's like, okay, I want to make sure everyone gets on. And, of course, the guy's like, oh, we'll make sure. It's like, buddy, you don't know all of her damn kids. She wants to make sure her son is there. But she's like, ma'am, you have to get on the plane. We're ready to take off, like, any second. Get your butt on the plane. So really, she has no damn choice because they're about ready to lock up and head out. Why couldn't have she just hung back and let everyone else go and then go? Because then she'd realize, where's Kevin? But then again, we wouldn't have a movie if she did that, so. So now that the McAllisters are on their plane, we go back to Kevin, who's still rushing, following this guy that he thinks is his father. And the guy, the lady who's getting ready to shut the door to the gate and it's like oh you're cutting it kind of close aren't you and kevin is like seeing her getting ready to shut that door no 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 wait 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 <clears throat> he flies right into this poor woman and she's holding all these boarding passes it's so um one thing i noticed that jeremy put on my phone is that i can just scan my boarding pass it's on my phone and i can just like scan it as i'm going onto the gate which is pretty awesome i mean still have the paper kind of course as a backup but that's pretty cool and the guy comes out like hey they're ready to go what's the hold up here and kevin's like no wait we can't you can't i i, I can't miss this flight my family's on this plane and 
and it, oh, I, I got left behind last year, and it almost wrecked my family's Christmas, actually, kind of did, but, um, yeah, and she's like, well, are you sure they're on this flight? And the guy says, board him, but make sure he locates his family before you leave him. So he only sees, like, oh, there's my dad over there. Really? Well, where's your mom, buddy? Wouldn't they be together? <laughs> he's just happy he's, like, supposedly seeing his dad. I'm sure when he got off the place, like, you're not my dad. What the hell? Where am I? Because as soon as Kevin gets on the flight, he, he plunks down in a seat because she says, go find a seat somewhere because she doesn't, his boarding pass is all put into that mess with all the others. So he basically earned himself a free flight to Flor uh, New York City. And he sits down in the seat next to this guy, and he's like, hey, how's it going? You ever been to Florida? And we don't hear what the guy's saying. He's speaking um, French. So Kevin's like, okay, I'm checking out of this conversation. I am putting my earbud, uh, headphones on and drowning you out. So he does not hear the flight attendant say, nonstop to New York. And then we see on the monitor... Both planes, one's going to New York, one's going to Florida. This guy, he's sitting next to him, must be really lonely or, like, I need someone to talk to. Because I thought he said, I don't speak French, but I could have sworn he said something like restaurant or something like that. I didn't hear anything like New York come out of his mouth. But then again, like I said, I don't speak French. I'm like, sir, I'm putting these on. I'm going to escape into real or non-reality here, so can you please, like, look out the window or look at your Sky Mall magazine located in the seat in front of you and shut your mouth. Thank you. <laughs> so now we go to Kate and Peter, who are in first class because of course they are. Even though they're just going to Florida, they're fine first class. Those are the one of the, those are the, such looking comfortable seats. They look so comfy. They're so big. They're, of course, you know, side by side. I wonder how much one of those sleeping pods in first class runs for. I told Jeremy if we go, go to London that um, I really definitely go first class. You go overseas, you go first. You fly first class. That's a long, long trip. So... Kate already is feeling like, dang it, I just have that feeling that we for, you know, I just, and Peter's like, honey, honey, we, we, we got everybody, we did everything we needed to do, everything's great, don't worry about it. She's like, oh, I just have that feeling like we've got something. Like, ugh, fuck. So when she says, I have that feeling, it's like, oh, let me guess, that we forgot something? She's like, I don't think we did, but I just, oh, I just have that feeling. Motherly instinct, you're a mother! Of course! Your baby is not near you, so you feel that loss that your your child is not on that plane with you. I mean, that I, I, I'm, I'm not a mother. I don't have a physical child, but I can imagine it's a motherly instinct that just kicks in. You know, when something's not right. Of course, Peter chalks it up to bad memories. Oh, that's all. It's just bad memories. Peter, you are not helpful at all. So how funny is this? Kevin's getting off the plane, right? He's in the airport. As he's coming out the doorway, he's like, Mom? Mom? Where? It's, it sounds just like the first movie when he's coming out of the attic. Mom? Dad? Where is everybody? Well, they're not there. That's for damn sure. 
You know what I noticed? There is a lot, and I love the color red. Love the color red. There's a lot of people wearing, at least three to five people now that have gotten off the plane after Kevin are all wearing red. The flight attendant's wearing red. So he's kind of just looking, he's standing there, he's just kind of like, where are those guys? I'd be like, first of all, damn, why is it so cold? There's snow here. <laughs> Shouldn't the sun be out? Why is it like 30 degrees? It should be like 80. <laughs> so now we're getting back to the Miami International Airport. As Peter and Kate have realized, yes. Oh, no, they haven't realized yet. I'm sorry. No, they haven't. They're getting their bags. Okay, so they do have Kevin's stuff, which is probably, you know, all of his clothes. I wonder how long are they going for? At least a week, right? So they realize it after they're like, oh, here, here's Kevin's bag. Give this to Kevin. It goes to Fuller. And there's an elderly couple standing there, and he's like, well, you're not Kevin. And he's like, Kevin's not here. And it goes through the line of people. Kevin's not here. Kevin's not here. And then Kate's like, oh, Kevin's not here. She hands it to Peter. And Peter's like, what? What do you mean he's not here? And Kate is like uh, laughing like, oh, no, not again. Like, oh, Kevin, oh, my gosh. And she faints. Now we go back to Kevin where he, oh, look, there's a Pepsi Cola sign on that building. Um... Where Kevin is looking out the window at the New York skyline. And, of course, it's like, come on, buddy. You're... He doesn't even know what he's looking at until he goes up to a flight attendant and is like, what city is that out there? And, of course, she is played by Ali Sheedy, um, since John Hughes directed The Breakfast Club. And she just kind of looks at him like, what the f- that's New York, sir. And she's like, is something wrong, sir? And Kevin is just, as soon as he hears that's New York, his mouth is agape, like, oh no, I did it again. And she just looked at him with concern, like, is something wrong, sir? And he's like, I'll be fine. As he wanders over and sits in a chair with his dad's bag. And he's like, whoa. My family's in Florida, and I'm in New York. It's that same thing, whereas I made my family disappear. I made my family disappear. I made my family disappear. He's like, my family's in Florida, and I'm in New York. As we hear this awesome, beautiful song by this lady, and um, Kevin is riding high in a taxi cab. No way in hell would this be allowed. Kevin is hanging out the window. This isn't a limousine with a moonroof, buddy. Get your ass back in that car. Put your seatbelt. He's not even wearing a seatbelt. Sit down. Put your belt on, buddy. You can still experience New York by looking out the window, not hanging it out of it. Kevin's got a Polaroid. Did his dad have a Polaroid camera in his bag? Not a 35 millimeter? You know, I hear that Polaroids are making a comeback, but I hear they are very, very expensive. Like, the film is expensive. Like, I think the cameras run, like, over a hundred bucks or something, but the film itself is not cheap. So, Kevin's kind of walking around the city, taking pictures. We got Radio City in the background. Uh, the song All Alone on Christmas is playing, which I love that song. 
Empire Diner. Kevin is right outside. And we see this man dressed as Santa on stilts. Oh my gosh, I hope that man does not fall because he would be breaking something. So we get, is this, I don't, is this Chinatown? I'm not sure what it, because we're getting like a montage of different areas of New York. Of course, Kevin's got to go into one of the shops there and get some fireworks, because that will definitely play into much later towards the end of the movie. Oh, his dad, his bag has got a, um, it's monogrammed with McAllister. So, Kevin is looking through one of those, what is it, I'm not sure, it's the thing, like, you, like, when you want to, like, look at, like, um, like, the Statue of Liberty, like, you're looking out, like, he's standing, is he standing on a building? Okay, this is where, um... This is probably where they cut that scene, um, because you do get a view of the, the Twin Towers here. Gosh. I cannot believe that it has been 17, 17 years now? My goodness. And guys, let me tell you, I am starting to already get teared up just watching, looking at them. This breaks my heart. So we get some more shots. One I'm not sure might be the Brooklyn Bridge, but like I've never been to New York, so I don't know what a lot of these places are. Oh, all I can really recognize is Statue of Liberty because I know what that looks like, and the the World Trade Center. There she is, the Lady Liberty, the lady with the with the uh, the the torch. Gosh, I don't know why. Where's Ellis Island? What's, it's on a little island there. What is, are those houses there maybe? I can't tell, it's too far away. Okay, so what I looked up, because I said, is the Statue of Liberty on, and it says, is the Statue of Liberty on Ellis Island? No, it is on Liberty Island, but Ellis Island to the north is part of the Statue of Liberty. Hold on, it's telling me something. As part of the Statue of Liberty National Monument. <clears throat> do people li live on Ellis Island, do they? I, I don't know. I don't know. So Kevin is taking a Polaroid picture of something. I don't know what, but of course, this also must have been the shot that they cut, too, because he is on the, um, the, uh, the Twin Towers, one of them. Okay, so now we move back to Kate and Peter. They finally got in touch with airport security. And they just want to take down some information. Like, okay, what's your son's name? You know, all the basic stuff. What's he look like? You got a picture of him. So the officer is gathering information. Like, especially where was the last time that you saw him? And Kate was trying to see, like, at the terminal. Well, at curbside check-in because he's like, hey... Oh, because they asked for a picture. He the the officer says, "Do you have a picture of your son?" Je uh, Peter reaches into his back pocket. He does not have his wallet on him. That is not good. He's like, "Well, it was in my bag, and Kevin had my bag." So luckily, 
the officer says we can run um, a check on the credit cards to see if he does, in fact, use them. Which is a great way to be able to locate. Which I think now you'd be able to do that lickety-split, whereas... And you could do that maybe back in 1991, but didn't it take a smidge of time? Because he's got to actually use the credit card before they can try to figure out where he's at. Okay, so they did go through security, okay, but they didn't have to take off their shoes. So the officer asked a good question, like, did you all get through security? And Kate is like, I, I don't know. And she looks at Peter like, Peter did. And he's like, well, we were in a hurry. We had, we had to run all the way to the gate. But the thing is, Kate did try to wait, like, hey, let me see if everyone is here. And they're like, no, ma'am, you have to get on this plane. She had, you know, the rest of the, she could have said, okay, rest of the family, get on the plane. I want to make sure. She could have been the last to get on the plane. All it would have took was a half a second. Like, okay, my son is not with us. So, of course, they noticed he was missing when they were getting their luggage and realized that Kevin's bag had come through. Like, there was no Kevin. Kevin's not here to take his bag. So, the officer asked some questions, like, has he ever ran away from home? Has he ever been on his own? And, of course, Kate's like, no, no. And then Peter just looks at her like, honey, remember last year, last Christmas, when we were dealing with this for the first damn time? Don't shake your head, no. Think. Yes, he was. And they they make a joke of it. Like, oh, it's starting to become a McAllister travel tradition is forgetting our son. I don't think you want a joke in front of a security officer who's probably tied to the police. That's not going to look good on you. And, of course, they knock on wood. At least we never forget our luggage. And then, of course, the whole thing about Peter not having his wallet. He better not be driving then because he... They get pulled over, and he doesn't have his wallet. He's going to be screwed. Not to mention, he doesn't have any of his credit cards. He was the one who was financing that trip. Does she have credit cards in her name? Because they could... Because didn't you have to have a credit card to check into a motel back in the day? Or a hotel? That's probably what their reservation is on. Is on... You know, that. They weren't going to stay in a slummy hotel. They were going to stay, or a motel. They were going to stay in a nice place. Of course, you got to have the credit card that you used when you made the reservation. So the thing is, the officer, the security officer says, we'll notify Chicago, uh, let them know the situation. Because they think that maybe he didn't even leave O'Hara Airport. Like, maybe he's still there. They don't have the idea, like, it's doubtful he'll be anywhere else. So, okay, so the picture and this whole thing with the wallet and the bag and everything must come later when Kevin actually checks into the Plaza Hotel because that's when Kate says, no, I don't think Kevin even knows how to use a credit card. So we move from Peter and Kate at the airport security area. We go to New York now and we're in a fishing district um, where... We find, this is the first time we see Harry and Marv since the first movie. And somehow they were able to get on this fish truck that is filled with live fish. Well, they're dead, but fresh fish. Fresh seafood, in fact. So they hitched a ride from Chicago, Illinois to 
New York City on this fish truck. Oh my gosh, they got a they got a reek of fish. But Joe <laughs> Joe Pesci <laughs> Harry's all like he's inhaling the air like, Oh, do you smell that Marv? New York City, it's a land of opportunity. And Marv's taking a big whiff he's like it smells like fish. Well, yeah, because you've been in a fish truck for umpteen hours. I wonder how many hours it takes to drive from Chicago, Illinois to New York. I'm going to look that up. It's 14 fucking hours. Oh, my God. And not to mention, that is a truck that's probably got, you know, freezing cold air in it because it's got to keep that, f that fish from uh, defrosting and everything. Oh, my gosh. I remember, you know, towards the end, if you haven't seen Planes, Change, and Automobiles, that they get, um, Dell and Neil get on a, it's like, I think it's like a meat truck or something, but even still, they're sitting in the middle of all these, you know, uh, boxes of meat, and they're, like, cold, because it has to be, you know, insulated, you know, there's a freezer, and it's basically a freezer. So... 14 hours in a freezer, I don't even know. Would you still be living? I don't know. I don't know how cold they keep it. It might not be arctic cold, but it'll be pretty cold. And all those men working on that dock are so distracted with their jobs, they don't notice two grown men climbing out of that truck. So Harry and Marv, they come up through the subway. They're now walking on the sidewalk. Harry is the one that seems to have a plan. He knows what he wants to do. He's like, hey, let's get us a couple phony passports. We will hightail it to some foreign country. They want to get out of the country. And do what? So, of course, Marv's a moron because he's like, oh, like Arizona? Oh, you're so stupid, Marv. Why does Harry put up with Marv? I mean, yeah, he's a big dumb goof, but he doesn't even have any real attributes. I mean, Harry's clearly the brains, and Marv is not the brawn. Like, at all. So Marv, at one point, wrapped his hand in duct er, masking tape. And as they're just walking along, he goes, dips his hand in one of those donation bells. See, because it's filled with change, anyone could dip their hand and just grab a handful of it. That's probably why now... They have a lot, they have a lock on that, and they have a top on it where you're just going to see, like, the coin hole that you would put it, the donation money, and there is somebody there at all times ringing a bell. So, no way in hell would that work today. No way can you just dip your palm in there and pull out a handful of coins. So, even Harry calls Marv out on his dumbassedness. Like, oh great, we just broke out of prison and you just robbed 14 cents from a Santa Claus? There was a quarter on there. I don't think it's just 14 cents. But, Harry's been thinking about it. Like, hey, we were the wet bandits. Now we're going to be the sticky ba Ugh. And Harry's like, what the fuck? We don't need a new nickname. That's the last thing we need. Harry's just looking at Marvel like, why the fuck do I even put up with your ass? You know what I noticed? Right now we seem to have three different plots going on. Or three different storylines or points of view. We got Kate and Peter. We got Kevin. We got Harry and Marv. 
until eventually Harry and Marv and Kevin's plots kind of come together and it's all just their plot versus Kate and Peter's plot and the McAllister family. Oh, this is really pretty. Kevin is in, I'm guessing this is Central Park and the sun is either setting or rising but it's just so pretty when there's no leaves on the trees. And yes, there is a scattering of snow. But it just makes everything look like red and orange in the the way that sun is setting. It's so beautiful. So Kevin's just walking. He sees the Plaza Hotel. And then I think this is where he plays his little talk boy with its new fresh batteries. As it gives him the phone number to the Plaza Hotel. As Kevin repeats to himself... The Plaza Hotel, New York's most exciting hotel experience. Although they don't have a fucking swimming pool. So, minus that experience. Although, honestly, would you really want to be in a hotel pool? I mean, hopefully they clean it on the hour. There's a lot of people, a lot of bacteria. I guess I can see why Jeremy's not a fan. Because <laughs> the last place we went to... Or, gosh, when was it years ago that we went to a hotel? Maybe it was Mackinac? Um, there was a, we were close to the pool. And I think I brought my bathing suit just in case. I'm like, hey, you want to go down there? He's like, no. No, I don't want to go down there. I don't want to go to the pool. No, thank you. Like, okay. So while Kevin is mesmerized by the Plaza Hotel, he turns as a pigeon flies past his face. And he sees... The pigeon lady. I don't even know if we even... She is basically the old man Marley. We don't get this lady's name, I don't think. Unless, maybe, it, it probably is on IMDb. And I've seen this woman before. She was in Angels in the Outfield. I remember that. She's probably been in other stuff I've seen her in, too. Which, I can get to her and see what else she's been in. Oops. So she turns, and she's got all these pigeons on her, like, all along her arms, past her shoulders, some are on her head, and he's just looking at her like, ew, that's so sick. Probably with an earshot of that poor woman. Kevin, you are ten years old now, right? Why the fuck are you running away from this woman? She's not deranged, so she's got some damn pigeons on her arms. Who cares? She's the bird lady. Okay, I looked up the pigeon lady, and that's who she's credited as, the pigeon lady, Brenda Fricker. Okay, so she is still alive. I don't know why I thought she was dead. So she's been in quite a few things. I'm trying to see if there's anything other than Angels in the Outfield that I would recognize her from. And what is this thing? I was a rat. Good for you. I'm not... Wait, what's this? Oh, I don't know what that is. Okay, never mind. Um, I think it's just the one movie other than this. Oh, so, okay, so Kevin runs away. Now we move on to the side of the street where we got two sets of crowds crossing paths on the um, in the crosswalk area. Harry and Marv are on one side, and Kevin is on the other. And... They cross paths, and I don't know whether one of them accidentally, like, lightly bumps into the other one, but Harry's the one that looks back, and he notices, like, I think, because Kevin's bag has McAllister 
on it. Well, Harry would probably remember the name McAllister. But then again, he's like, oh, well, I've been in a fish trick for 14 fucking hours. I could, this could be anything. So he, he kind of puts it out of his mind. Harry just shoulder checks his ass when he's walking right past and boom, like fucking hell. Dude, if there were anyone else, they would have beat your ass. If that were not a kid, that person would have like, excuse me, you did you just shoulder check me? Okay, and that's where he kind of looks, Harry looks over his shoulder, okay. I can't see, unless he's got good vision, you can't really see McAllister on Kevin's bag. It's kind of blurred out. And Harry's no spring chicken anymore. The guy's got to be at least close to 50 by now. But Marv notices Harry's distracted as they're still making their way across uh, the crosswalk. He's like, hey, what's up? And Harry's like, oh, no, I thought I saw something. It was probably nothing. Like, well, what did, I mean, like, what did you think you saw? The kid from two, from uh, last year? Why the fuck would he be in New York? And Marv, the big dumb doof, who's not even fucking watching where he's going, and he's got that handful of masking tape that's all sticky, bumps in this really pretty lady. This, like, sorry. And his hand, sticky hand, gets on her purse, so of course she's like, excuse me, what's going on? And, ugh. He finally wrenches his hand free, and he's like, speak some French to her or something, and she just slaps him. I was like, what the fuck? Harry, or Marv, you can't do that to women. You sure as fuck cannot do that nowadays. Because she probably thinks she's being mugged. This guy wants my purse. And... This lady can take care of herself, otherwise she'd be screaming for one of the men nearby. Like, hey, help me, help me, help me! This man's stealing my purse! No, she takes matters into her own hands, slaps that guy across the fucking face, Harry, or Ma I'm getting them mixed. Marv is all like, oh, I think she likes me, huh? He puts his uh, sticky hand to his face and rips off some of the hairs off of his, uh, his mutton chops there. <laughs> I'm surprised that, because Harry's, like, hitting Marvel, like, what the hell is wrong with you? It's like, dude, you could have gotten sent back to prison if that lady reported us. So now we're going back to the Plaza Hotel. We see it from, it's like a shot that's going upward. You're seeing it, like, way down, like, how tall this building is. So now Kevin's inside the Plaza Hotel, just kind of looking around. This place is huge from just, from what we're seeing of it. I mean, they have chandeliers, and they have- I don't even know what it would look- what it looks like now. And, of course, we get that famous shot that everybody knows. Kevin goes and asks Donald Trump where the lobby is. And, of course, Donald Trump points us down the hall and to the left. Our President Donald Trump. See, this is back in 91. No one knew this man was ever going to be president. Oh, okay, this is where Kevin plays the tape. He, he's inside and he's uh, playing it for the phone number. Because, of course, you have to call to make a reservation. I can't believe Kevin's going to stand on four phone books just to be able to reach the phone. Because it's so high up. And Kevin's speaking into it so that way when he does play it back, it's going to be in slow-mo. 
Kevin's like, howdy dude, this is Peter McAllister, the father. And this is what Kevin's asking for. I'd like a room with an extra large bed, a TV, which of course, they all have TVs in there. An extra large bed? You mean like what, a king size? I don't think they come any bigger than that. And of course, one of those little mini, little refrigerators that you have to open with a key. You mean a mini fridge? That shit's gonna be expensive, buddy. You pull stuff out of there, they're charging you. If you even open it and move stuff around, they're gonna fucking charge your ass. Of course, he doesn't know any of this, I'm sure. And then, of course, for this little message, he adds credit card. You got it. Kevin, what? Ay, ay, ay. So I get to listen to this played back, and it is... Something's wrong with the... <laughs> that person on the phone does not care. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll take that down. You don't sound like you had a stroke before. I mean, come on. That's not normal. <laughs> and the lady who's taking the reservation is Chris Columbus's wife. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> this is Peter McAllister. The father. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I want to play this little clip here because this is just my god, this is fucking hilarious. Howdy, dude. This is Peter McAllister, the father. Yes, sir. I'd like a hotel room, please, yes. with an extra large bed, a TV, and one of those little refrigerators you have to open with a key. Yes, sir. You'll need a major credit card upon checking. Credit card? You got it. Thank you. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. So Kevin heads over to the check-in desk. Wow. Um, and we get our first shot of Tim Curry as one of the uh, check-in people, or whatever you want to call them, hotel staff. So I'm guessing that this hotel does not cater to children, or he just has never seen a child without his parents before. Because he's so distracted by looking at Kevin by himself that he's like, oh, I'll have to call you back. What? <sighs> so Kevin goes up to the desk and he smiles at the lady. He's like, hey, how's it going? And she just, I, I'm, not, I'm hoping that these people don't give an impression of what New York is like. Because I've not been there. I'd like to go there one day, but... These people at the Plaza Hotel are snooty assholes. Is that how you want your hotel to be represented by pricks? Or just because he's a kid, they feel they can be jerks to him. She just looks at him like, can I help you? He's like, oh, reservation for McAllister? And she looks at him like, reservation for yourself? And he's like, well, no, it's for my dad. He called in Peter McAllister. My dad's a businessman, he's going to be in and out, and everything, and he told me to just check in here to the hotel room so I can hang out for a bit while he's doing his business meetings. So Kevin, of course, has to mention about himself being short, because he's like, I can barely reach the counter, my feet are barely touching the floor. Um, do you really think that I would come here and get a reservation for myself? And the lady's like, <laughs> I'm confused. Oh, this lady's a bitch. I think she's just as... No, Tim Curry is a thousand times worse. 
So it seems like he's kind of calling her out on her shit. Like, I'm a kid. You really think I'd come in here and make a reservation for myself knowing that I wouldn't be able to? Come on. Well, I mean, that is pretty... I mean, but I still can't see them accepting that story. Like, hey, my dad's in a meeting. I'm not allowed to go into the meeting. I have to sit in the lobby, and that's boring, so he dropped me off here. Here's his credit card. Just book the room so I can... Chill out. Oh, but the thing that Kevin adds, and I really wish he shouldn't, because he's really kind of putting himself in a hole there. It's like, because sometimes I get into mischief. Like, he's afraid I'll get into mischief, and ladies, sometimes I do. I would, if Kevin weren't 10 years old, he were a little older, I really think that um, he would not have added that part. It's like, you're putting yourself in a position there where she's like, how do I know you're not making any of all of this up? So now we go back to Peter and Kate. They're still talking to the um, the airport security guy. And he has called Chicago. They have not seen him. And they're like, oh, fuck. So the guy says, well, do you have hotel reservations? Because I need to be able to get a hold of you in case we do eventually find your son. And they're, and then that's, oh, yeah, because they do bring up, like, do you have a photo of your son? And that's when Peter tries to go for his wallet, realizes he does not have it. Of course, when the guy asks for the photo, Kate is immediately going through it. She's probably got a photo. Um, but he's like, oh, shit, I don't have my wallet. Why would you put it in your fucking bag? Keep it on your person. Keep it on yourself. You don't know. I mean, what if you need... Well, I mean, granted, that bag was a carry-on, but even still. That's when he realizes, fuck, I don't have my wallet. Kevin had it, and would, and it was in my bag, and he has my bag. With all my credit cards, my money, everything. So, yeah, this is where it comes in with the whole, like, if he uses a credit card, we can locate him. And Kate's all like, I don't think... He knows how to use it. It's a piece of plastic. It's a plastic damn card. It's not that hard. You hand it to somebody. They take it. They slip it through the reader. They hand it back to you. They give you a receipt. It's not a difficult thing to do. A credit card transaction. Granted, they do things differently in 91. I guess you have to send it through one of those machines. So, I don't think I've ever used, in all the times of working at co in customer service, I don't think I've ever used one of those machines. Now we go back to Kevin, who is, like, amazed that the whole thing worked with checking into the hotel. He's like, wow, it worked. Kevin, now that lady is extra suspicious of you. Like, oh my gosh, is he trying to pull one over on me? <laughs> Rob Schneider playing Cedric. He's counting his tips as Tim Curry tells him, don't count your tips in public. Yeah, don't be flashing a lot of bills around. That's how people get mugged or killed. So this is where I'm just going to call them Tim Curry and Rob Schneider or Cedric or whatever. Um, Tim Curry tells... Cedric, like, hey, find out everything you can about that little boy over there. You sound like a damn pedophile, you pervert. Why does it matter? This kid is checking. I mean, yeah, it's unusual, but the fact that you're looking into information about him, what is that going to... Oh, my gosh. So the lady gives Kevin the credit card back and says, hey, don't forget to remind your dad when he arrives. He's got to come in and sign some stuff. So, Cedric's in charge of taking Kevin's bag, leading him up to his room. 
And he's like, hey, Herbert Hoover stayed on this floor once. And Kevin's 10. He's like, Herbert, oh, you mean the vacuum guy, the guy who invented the Hoover vacuum. And Cedric's like, no, uh, the president. Like, oh, yeah, great. I don't care. He's 10. He doesn't care. Hell, if you told me Herbert Hoover stayed on this floor, I'd be like, who the fuck are you talking about? I don't know who that is. The president? Great. Unless he's a current president, I'm not going to know who he is. I mean, granted, yes, I know who JFK and Abraham Lincoln are. Not personally, but, you know, I've heard of them. Kevin gets a damn suite, not a room. He gets a suite. Are you kidding me, kid? Kevin does not know how to check into a hotel room. You don't get a suite, you get a room. Your dad is going to shit himself blind when he gets that damn credit card bill. Or that damn bill for the hotel. So we get a look at the room. Are those like the little mini bar things that you open the, with a key or something? But they're like glass. There's like six of them. I don't know what that is. Oh, is that champagne? Ooh. Oh, boy. Boy, you better not open that one. <laughs> so this room is really decked out for Christmas. We have um some candles and fake uh, stemware with... Um, decorative branches with colored lights. We got a stocking. It's hung above this fireplace. It's it's all really cute. I, I, I like it. A little too stuffy for me, but other than that, it's okay. Kevin's even got a couch in there in case he wants to chill out on the couch. And Kevin looks at the bed like, oh, a huge bed that just for me. That looks like the size of his parents' bed, which is probably a king size. I mean, Kevin, you've probably been in a bed like... Your parents' bed is about the same size. But then again, it's all his. He doesn't have to share it with anybody. Kevin checks out the tub, which is humongous. He could easily drown in that if... Yeah. Um. Well, no, I don't think he would. But anyway. Um. Oh, wow! It's got a curtain that goes around. So you can have more privacy. Oh, that's so cool. And it's got Plaza Hotel towels. Uh, the Plaza Hotel Im uh, imprinted on the towels. That's cool. All right, let's see what we got here in the uh, old snacky uh, closet here. We got jelly beans. We got chocolate chip cookies. We got more jelly beans. We got eagle potato chips. We got some chocolate bars. Nothing a brand name that I can think of unless the eagle rigid potato chips or anything, which I've not heard of those. Kevin's like, oh, how convenient. Yeah, you take one out of there, you're going to be charged for that. That just does not come with the room. You ha you will separately get separate charges for that. And Cedric cannot keep his fucking filthy fingers, his gloved fingers, off of Kevin's bag as he's trying to look in there. Kevin catches him like, what the fuck are you doing? Stand the hell out of my bag, you weirdo. Like, give it to me. He's like, oh, did you want your bag? You want me to hold on to it? Why the hell would he want you to hold on to his bag? You're in his room now. Like, you can leave any damn time. So, he's like, hey, um, he's rubbing his, Cedric's rubbing his finger together. Like, uh, yeah, we need a tip. Kevin's like, oh, here you go. Here's a tip. Here's a piece of gum. Get the hell out of my room. Well, before Kevin takes the bag, he notices that... Uh, Cedric notices that, uh, Kevin's address is from Chicago. 
Actually, hold on a second. Let me go back here. What is this? Oh, it says Peter McAllister, Winneka, Illinois, JK51658. 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Oh, Cedric's got the key. And he's like, hey, do you want me to put the key in the bag? Or do you want to just hang on to it? And Kevin, like, takes the key. Like, I'll hold on to it. And my bag, too. Thank you. So Cedric does not want to leave anytime soon. He's like, oh, is the room okay? Do you want me to show you how to work the TV? And Kevin's like, I'm 10 years old. I know how to work a fucking television. Hand me the remote. I'll be good to go. Fruit-striped gum, he hands him. The flavor that will disappear as soon as it touches your tongue. And I should know because I've had fruit-striped gum. It is a big gum disappointment. You'd think by now they would invent a gum that is everlasting flavor for as long as it's in your mouth. Willy Wonka, why aren't you doing that? (laughs) Seriously, I mean... I don't chew gum that often. I used to have a problem with, like, swallowing gum a lot when I was younger. But it kind of is hard, like, when I have gum to kind of break myself with that. Because I'll immediately want, like, want to swallow it. No, no, I have to spit it out. I can't swallow it. All right, well, Kevin is going to take himself down to the pool. And remember, Kevin doesn't have any... (laughs) He doesn't have any clothes other than what's on his body. He's got a bag, which is his dad's. So, um... Gotta wear dad's, uh, dad's swim trunks. Those are gonna be huge on him. Because, of course, they were going to Florida. You go to Florida, you're probably gonna go swim in the ocean. You're gonna go swim at the pool. You're gonna wanna have your swim trunks. Now, are those his dad's, um, like, sandal things that he's flip-flops? Or is that compliments of the Plaza Hotel? I wanna look up Plaza Hotel and see if, um... If it still, I'm sure it still exists. Like, if they still take reservations. Yeah, it it looks like it's still, like, it says Hotel Plaza A-N-T something something with a few slash marks above the E's. I can't pronounce that. You want to know what's funny? Kevin's coming down to the swimming pool. This thing's huge. It's huge. The swimming pool. It's all a bunch of geriatric people, they're not swimming or anything. They're all kind of hanging back either in um, chairs or some are just being served drinks. And I'm just thinking there are no children whatsoever. He is like the youngest person there. In reality, there will be kids all over the place running and jumping. You would not get any peace and quiet. Even as Kevin's slipping off his flip-flops, and he's got his Plaza Hotel towel. The lady behind him in one of those deck chairs, padded deck chairs, is looking through this giant book. And she's just chilling, relaxing, probably thinking, like, great, this kid's come down here. He's gonna make a bunch of noise. I'm not gonna be able to read my book. I just want some relaxation. That's why I checked into this hotel for relaxation. Those Bathing trunks, or um, whatever you want to call them, are fucking huge on Kevin's slim little body. They are swallowing him whole. Yeah, of course, as soon as you jump in there, they're going to slip. They're going to slip off. I'm surprised that waist is even... 
Because it's an elastic waist. Supposedly it's supposed to fit to your body, but no. That is a large-ass hot tub! I've never seen a hot tub that big. As we got a couple guys that are probably in their 60s or 70s. Just chilling. They got their arms spread back. Like, leaning back. Like, oh, this is so relaxing. Kevin sees this and says, hey, um, would you... And he's very polite about it. It's like, would I bug anybody if I work on my cannonballs? I'm like, oh, no. These guys are the coolest. They're the nicest guys. Like, mm, we don't mind. Go for it, buddy. And we see, um, well, there's some other ladies that probably look probably to be in their, like, mid-twenties or whatever. They're, everyone's just chilling. They're just hanging out. They're having a good old time. So Kevin decides to do a cannonball as he jumps into the water. Of course, his bathing suit resurfaces to the top before he does. He's Yikes! Oh my gosh! I'm naked under this <laughs> water! <laughs> That'll be fun trying to uh, slip those back on while you're still under the water. I'm sure it can be done. Alright, so I take it after that one trip into the pool. Kevin's like, well, you know, I'm not doing this again. So, let's see. Kevin's got some VHS movies. The Ventilator. I doubt... I don't even think any of these are real movies. We got The Ventilator. We got Flybait. We got Muttville Massacre. And Angels with Even Filthy... That one we know. We know that Angels with Even Filthier Souls is not real. I want to check these other movies. I'm sure they're fake as hell. Yeah, I looked them up. I don't... There's nothing. Not a uh, one. The Ventilator... That's a horror fan. That sounds like it would be a sad drama where someone's on a ventilator and sadly they have to pull the plug. Muttville Massacre? What was that one movie called? The Island of Dr. Moreau or something that had like a bunch of like mutant humans that he had created and they all like started killing each other. I've never seen it. Flybait makes me think of The Fly with uh, Jeff Goldblum. And Mutt... Oh yeah, I already... And, of course, angels will even filter your souls. Here's a question. Kevin's 10 years old. Um, it's 91. I want to see. I'm going to look up what kid movies were in 91 that he could have. Or 1990. He could Well, now that I think about it, of course. Of course. He can't show Disney movies, you know, because of rights and whatnot. Wouldn't be able to show that on here. Maybe not. But, uh. I'm sure there are some 20th Century Fox Kids movies from, like, the late 80s or early 90s that they could have played. Why does Kevin... Why, why is he into the black and white stuff? The other stuff sounds like it's most likely horror movies. Kevin's got some unique movie tastes. Kevin's got a waiter up there who is serving him ice cream. He's got, at the foot of the bed, there are... That must be the fawn and the cups. So we got one, two, three cakes. Kevin, you're not going to eat all that fucking food. He does not know how to order room service. You take, you buy what you're going, what you know you're going to eat. Because that shit ain't cheap. I've never ordered room service in all of the hotels that we've been to. Well, motels. I mean, you know. Yeah, so... So Kevin is just chilling, relaxing, leaning against the pillows, hands behind his head, just, oh yeah, this is a vacay. I am living it up. 
And the guy's like, how many scoops you want? Two? Three? And the guy, Kevin's like, I'll make it three. I'm not driving. <laughs> Is that the same dude from the first Angels with Filthy Souls? Because now it's like he's got some girl who's coming in who's clearly cheating on his ass. And he's like, what's that smell? And she's like, oh, it's gardenias. It's flowers. And she's like, he's like, fuck no. You were making out with my fucking brother. What the hell? And even Kevin's calling her on her shit. So he pulls, the guy pulls out the gun, a Tommy gun, and he ends up killing her. So this lady is clearly a whore. She's been making out fucking whoever. Snuffy, Ale, Leo, little whatever with a gimpy ass leg. Cliff and Bony Bob or what? <laughs> Holy shit! Lady! Oh my goodness. Once a hoe, always a hoe. What can I say, right? Damn lady. You think you're not going to get found out by this guy? This Johnny guy? <laughs> Kevin always has so much ice cream. And then, of course, when the scary part of the movie hits, he's like, drops his spoon, covers his eyes. Just turn the damn movie off, buddy. Pause it. Fast forward through it. There are ways to get around scary parts of movies. Well, stop it and fast forward it, I guess. Because if you fast forward (laughs) while the movie's still playing, it's going to look a lot worse. So we get an outside shot of uh, the New New York skyline lighting. It's very pretty. I really like the red. (laughs) Um, The buildings that are lit up in red, blue, white. It's very festive. So now we got nosy-ass Tim Curry who cannot keep himself out of this boy's bedroom or out of his hotel room as he's snooping around. Kevin's just sleeping. I don't know what time of night this is. But he knocks on, but Tim Curry knocks on the door. He's like, housekeeping. Kevin's freaking out. Luckily, he's got that, um, that blow-up doll, that bozo thing. And he's got Uncle Frank's, uh, crap-ass singing that he plays. And he sets it up like somebody, he blows up the inflatable bozo to make it look like it's his dad in the shower. And how the guy, he has the, he's got the thing orchestrated. This is like a callback to the first movie when he had all those like, um, like mannequins and stuff moving around to music and the lights were going to make it look like people were home but weren't. So he's doing this to Tim Curry to make it look like his dad is there. And he has the guy, when... Tim Curry has the nerve to go into the fucking shower. Into the bathroom. Where someone is taking a shower. That guy would be fired. He would be fired. So Kevin turns the inflatable bozo. Just as Frank says, get out of here you nosy little pervert. I'm going to slap you silly as Tim Curry hightails it out of the room. But not before knocking over a footstool and... Fucking up his knee for life. Well, since I guess Kate doesn't have a credit card, they gotta check into this blue dolphin shit motel. Ew. Damn it. Because I'm sure the reservation that Peter made was on his credit card that Kevin has. Oh my goodness. And of course, this must have been Frank's recommendation. He says, oh, it wasn't so bad when uh, Leslie came and I came here on our honeymoon, which was probably 
20 fucking years ago when this blue dolphin was hopping. It's raining. It's nasty. They make this Florida trip look utter shit. And Kevin, meanwhile, Kevin is living the high life in New York on his vacay. It, <laughs> the first <clears throat> and only time Jeremy and I went to, um, we, <laughs> we went to Florida was in 09 and it rained when we got off the plane. It, it was rainy. It's like, well, that's a great welcome. But, yeah, it's dark. It's rainy. I don't know what time of night this is, but the family is just looking out of the um, this airport van here, that's t- or shuttle van that's taking them to their hotel, and they just look depressed, like, oh, you gotta be fucking... This is it? This is the place we're staying. And this is where Frank is. Oh, it wasn't so bad on our honeymoon. Fuck you, Frank. Fuck you. You don't have any right to say anything. Because at this point, you're not... I would say, Frank, you got money? You got money? You got cash? You got credit cards? Good, because we're using them. Because I don't have anything. I paid for your damn plane ticket to get here to Florida. You're helping out with this. Leslie, you got credit cards, girl? Get them out, because we're using them. You got cash? I don't want to see any. If you got traveler's checks, we'll use those, too. So now we go back to New York. Kevin is chilling in the bed. He is flipping through Dad's address book, and he notices his Uncle Rob, Kevin's Uncle Rob, does live in New York. He's like, hey, maybe I'll pay Uncle Rob a visit. Now, this is going to be the same Uncle Rob that um, the the daughter, Heather, is going... I thought she was staying with, like, Peter and Kate while she's going to college in Chicago. So they're currently renovating um, Kate, or... <laughs> Rob is currently renovating his house in New York, I'm guessing, because that's why they're in Paris, and maybe they are just renovating it and then that way they can like maybe rent it out or something like that while they're in Paris. That's not a bad idea. Alright, we get uh, Rob McAllister, 51 West 95th Street, New York, New York 212-555-4980 Somebody call that number and see if that even works. Um, Joni Mears, who's this Joni chick? (laughs) She lives in Chicago, Illinois. This can't be just Les and Lisa. They live in Chicago, too. So this has got to be like a family address book with either their relatives or neighbors and friends. Because I remember in the first movie, Kate was like, here's my address book. Call everybody in here and see if they know where Kevin is. So, all right. That must be like just like in case of emergency, in case we need to get a hold of somebody for something. It's like you, you bring the address book for emergencies. Oh, Dad's wallet! Here we go. Kevin's gonna pull out a picture of his family. Family sitting there all... This must have been a recent picture then, because we got Buzz hanging Kevin over the couch. Like, the goofball that he is. So, Kevin hops off the bed. He's in his nice blue robe, and he gets up on the little nook area of the window... He's looking out at the night sky, New York sky, and he says goodnight to his mother. And his mother also says goodnight, Kevin, when she's in Florida. 
Okay, it's morning time, and Cedric brings up Kevin's underwear. Oh, there's also a build there. Why would you... Why would you have that hand-washed? I mean, he hasn't even been there a full day, and all of a sudden he's got to get his underwear clean. Did he? Oh, that's right! Because he only brought one pair of underwear because that's what he's got on his body. Gotcha. Because he doesn't have any other clothes. Kevin is wearing the same clothes for, like, quite a few days. Those clothes are gonna stink. Why did he just get the rest of his clothes? Well, wait, that wouldn't have been good. But anyway. So Kevin grabs the hanger with the underwear, and it's been pressed and everything, the, um, the boxer shorts. And Kevin is free, like, hey, don't flash those around here. There could be girls on this floor. I don't think they- Nobody is even up yet. Or if they are, they've already left. You're safe, bud. So, Kevin thinks, oh, he wants a tip. And Cedric's like, oh, no, I still have some tip left. He's still chewing, chomping on that flavorless gum. <laughs> Kevin pulls out a wad of cash that looks like either a 20 or a 50. I think it's a stack of 20s. Buddy, do not be flashing that wad of cash around. Someone will murder you and take your money. Those aren't 20s, those are 50s! Kevin! Holy shit! That's probably what Peter brought for the trip. Spending money and dinner and everything. Holy moo. There's gotta be at least 500 or more dollars in his hand, I bet. I bet. So Kevin goes down to the lobby. We got uh, Tim Curry, who's like, Oh, Mr. McAllister! And Kevin's like, Great, I gotta deal with this asshole. Yes, Mr. Tim Curry, what do you need? Tim Curry is apologizing, like, I'm sorry, it's customer, uh, company policy to check on the guest at night, make sure they're comfortable, I'm sorry. Kevin's like, yeah, my dad was pretty pissed off when he left, he said he didn't come here to New York to stay in this hotel to have his naked ass spied on. So, Tim Curry's like, yes, yes, my apologies, I apologize. To make up for that, I got you a cheese pizza, a limo ride to take you wherever the hell you want to go around New York City. Compliments of the Plaza Hotel. Compliments of his paycheck, because he is foregoing that to pay for this. And he, what, he just, he's covering his ass. He does not want to get fired, which I'm surprised that the family doesn't sue the damn Plaza Hotel. So that's why they make it up to them by giving them that suite. Kevin does mention here that you will not be seeing my father for the rest of the trip. He's kind of staying MIA for a bit. Well, if he had his naked ass rear end spied on, then I wouldn't want to be appearing at the hotel if I didn't have to. <laughs> so Mr. Snoopy Snoop, Tim Curry, decides, okay, well, he's gone. I'm going to go and look at the check-in thing. Oh, here's the credit card. Oh, it says the expiration date is January of 1995. And it also says 1980 on there. I don't know what that is. Wait, is that 1980 or 19? I think it's 1980. So apparently Tim Curry's going to find out that this credit card was stolen. Ugh, I hate this fucker. I hate him. So Kevin gets a long stretch limo, white limo, with Cedric outside saying, here we go, you got your own cheese pizza. Jeez. Oh, Kudos 
most of those are like just cheese on their pizza. I want a little bit more. Granted, when I was growing up, my dad would always make the Chef Boyardee pizza on, excuse me, on Sunday nights. He'd put like pepper, green peppers and red onions or purple onions or whatever and, and, and mushrooms and this and that. And I didn't want any of that stuff on my pizza, so I just had the cheese. I, we did, I don't even think we put pepperoni on it now that I think about it. But Jeremy and I, when we do Chef Boyardee pizza... We put bacon. We will cook up some bacon. We put um, diced ham on there and pepperonis. And I think that's it. <laughs> Kevin's pouring himself a Coca-Cola while we get a little TV, mini TV here in the limo. And he's watching The Grinch, which is funny because he was watching that in the first movie. So, there's a phone in there in the limo, and he calls up to the driver, like, hey, do you know any good toy stores? And the driver's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take you to Duncan's toy, toy chest. Of course, we get an image of the Grinch's face with a weird wrinkled smile, and then we cut back to Tim Curry as he's smiling at the stolen credit card. You'd think that that guy just had an orgasm with that smile of relief on his face. <laughs> Alright, well now we're going back to Harry and Marv. Marv's out there skating with all the people. Harry is flipping through the newspaper, probably trying to get some idea of what to rob and where and when. And we get some <laughs> pigeons that are hanging out by Harry. And Harry is literally hitting these poor pigeons with the paper. Like, get out of here! Get out of here! Get! Move it! Get out of here! Those poor pigeons! He's literally taking that paper. Goosh! Goosh! Move it! I'm hitting you in the butt! It means move! Move, move, move! <laughs> Damn, Marv, you fucking klutz. He's like skating around. He's taking a hat. He's taking a scarf. He's taking some mittens. He's getting himself all set up. Because it's New York in December and it's colder than hell out. But not so cold that this girl isn't going to skate while wearing a fucking miniskirt. Good for you, girl. So, Harry is letting Marvin on. Like, alright, so we need cash. We need it now. And Marv's like, well, what about hotels? Tourists carry lots of cash. Harry's like, well, there's no guarantees. I would not be trying to get into a hotel and stealing from guys. You are going to get found out. Your asses are going to be back in fucking... They're going to be back in prison regardless. Um, Harry shows Marv the back of the newspaper. It's got Duncan's toy chest, which is advertising that it's taking donations for the children's hospital. Why would you have a big, clear trunk filled with cash where anybody who's anybody could probably go in there? And you're advertising that you have cash right where your counter is where anybody could just break in not that that won't set off the alarm because it will and steal that money then those children won't get you know the help that they need you would take that money and you would probably be doing bank deposits you would not leave it there just in the store for anyone to come and grab okay so I didn't see anything advertised about them taking donations for the children's hospital. So they're just thinking they're going to knock off a toy store. Like, steal the money there. Alright. So, 
the limo driver drops Kevin off at Duncan's toy chest. And it's got more than one level to it. And Kevin's just wandering around looking at all the toys. They're probably expensive as hell. So we got these little, one of them looks like the gingerbread house and the other one is another house. They're just display models probably for little kids like that want playhouses. But Harry and Marv are hiding out in them. If they got in there, what's to say a little kid isn't going to try to go in there? I mean, and they're being really ballsy by sticking their heads out while the store is in operation. So what? They're going to hang out there, dressed like bumps, inside the little miniature playhouses until the store closes? Alright, let's see what Kevin got. He got some uh, slime. And uh, a map of Manhattan that was probably very smart. And what's that other thing? Okay, so this is clearly a throwback to when Kevin was in the grocery store. Because Mr. Duncan here says, oh, are you shopping alone? And Kevin's going to be smarmy. He's like, oh, in New York, a kid walking around New York by himself? Yeah, I don't think so. And Kevin's like, sir, I'm afraid of my own shadow. And, and Mr. Duncan's a sweet guy. He's not like that nosy bitch cashier. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, I was just checking. And Kevin's like, well, that was very nice of you to do that. So Kevin's total, just for the map and that monster slime thing, and then I don't know if that's a jackknife that he bought. I couldn't tell. But it came to 23 bucks. And Kevin has got this envelope. Kevin! You do not need to be pulling out that wad of cash. What have I said? I said, don't do it. Keep that in your pocket. You keep a 20 in your pocket or 40 bucks in your pocket and then stuff the envelope somewhere else. And even Duncan's like, wow, that's a lot of cash, buddy. Where'd you get all that? And Kevin's like, I got a lot of grandparents. They like grandmoms. They like to give me money for my birthday, Christmas, and other holidays. Um... So, <laughs> um, Kevin notices the, um, the tree with the doves and the, and the other ornaments. Kevin's like, I'd probably be, um, spending this 20, uh, on things that will rot my mind and my teeth. So I'm going to give this to you to, for a donation to the children's hospital. Uh, well, I thought he said he got the 20 from, like, shoveling driveways and other things. So, Mr. Duncan is like, well, you can pick a little ornament here off of this tree. And he's like, can I make a suggestion? And Kevin's like, okay, take the turtle doves. And Kevin's like, wow, I can have two of them? And he's like, well, you keep one for yourself and you give one to someone who is very, very special to you. Aw, that's so sweet. We see this giant, clear, see-through trunk filled with bills of all kinds that is being donated to St. Anne's Children Hospital. Tr Children's Hospital. Oh, okay, okay. So he's got 20 bucks from when he shoveled a driveway or shoveled snow in a jar in the garage. Where he's got to hide it in a jar in, a, in the garage where his brother can't find it. So he's like, well, I'll pay my mom back with that. Yeah, um, what about all the other stuff you're spending on? How are you going to pay that back? So Kevin probably just thought Mr. Duncan was a 
cashier. Well, he doesn't even know who Mr. Duncan is because he's saying the uh, cashier is saying Mr. Duncan is going to be doing this. So as Kevin's walking out with his possessions, he looks at this giant portrait on the wall and it says, you know, Mr. Duncan. Duncan, like, oh my gosh, that's the man who just waited on me. So Kevin's got his map and he's looking at it like with this little itty bitty magnifying glass. So Marvin and Harry, I guess, decide to take off for a bit. They're just scoping out the joint. Um, and that's where Harry spots Kevin McAllister because he recognizes the name that is sewn into that uh, bag that Kevin is wearing on his back. And they decide to creep up on Kevin like, hey, how you doing, pal? Kevin drops the map and the little magnifying glass, turns around, screams in their faces, and runs off. And a chase ensues. Well, wait a minute. Okay, now I'm confused. This says K. McAllister on it. But P Peter said, oh, are you taking my bag, Kevin? Do they all have monogrammed bags that say K-P-K-B McAllister on them? They all have individual bags? Because I thought it said P McAllister, but now it says K McAllister on it. I don't know. So yeah, dead giveaway. Don't wear something that's got your name uh, monogrammed on it. You're not Alex P. Keaton. And he just has his APK initials put on uh, his all of his clothes. I love how he screams in their face and then nobody, there are people all over on the sidewalk. None of them are saying, little boy, are you okay? Are these men bothering you? None of them do it. I mean, isn't, wouldn't they find it a little odd that this young boy is screaming in the faces of two grown men? So this guy is hawking fake jewelry. Kevin takes it, breaks the strands of pearls, like pulls them down like the the strand and everything. So they're all over the sidewalk. And of course, Harry and Marv slip on them. I'm surprised no one else is going to slip on those too. And of course, Harry and Marv slip on them. I'm like, oh, just like the micro machines in the first movie. So, Kevin escapes from Harry and Marv. He runs to the hotel. We got fucking Tim Curry with this big shit-eating grin on his face. It's like, Kevin's like, oh, you gotta help me. There's two guys that are after me. And then the guy reaches into Kevin's pocket, takes out the envelope with the credit card and says, oh, they couldn't, uh, they found your stolen credit card, did they? I'd be like, first of all, no, that is my father's. And the fact that you're taking it from me is proving that now you are stealing my dad's credit card. You stupid piece of shit. So Kevin runs into the lobby. We got Cedric and we got that beehive hair dude woman that are all trying to stop him from getting in the elevator. But he slides under that woman's, le between her legs. And Cedric and Tim Curry all run into her and they all are a mess on the floor as Kevin is able to get away from them in the hotel. Elevator goes up to his room, goes to his mini bar thing, grabs some cookies and other things, and he's like, all right, I've had enough of this day, Kay. I'm going home. Turns out he goes through the fi Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I am totally skipping here. Um... <laughs> 
just like with the pizza guy and with Mar from the first movie, um, when Kevin played that movie with the gunshots and everything. Kevin does that with Tim Curry, Cedric, the beehive woman, and this old man security guard named Cliff. And it's just really crazy. These people are... The guy's like, tell, get on your knees and tell me you love me. And they're all like, we love you. And he's like, I don't think you mean it. He pulls out his gun. He starts shooting. And everyone is trying to get out of the hotel room into the hallway as these guns... And we got people that are actually poking their heads out of their hotel rooms. And Tim Curry's all, like, waddling, like... Like he's under, like, um... You know, wire and everything. He's, like, trying to, like, get down the hallway. He's like, stay in your rooms! There's a madman with a gun! It's like, that's from a fucking television, you moron! So now Kevin is getting out the fire escape or the emergency exit door. And, of course, Harry and Marv are waiting for him just like they did in the first movie at the end. Okay, so we get a little bit of info from Harry here. He says, we spent nine months in jail. Nine damn months for all the houses they hit, they robbed? So they're taking Kevin down an alley... And they're all, like, kind of talking, like, hey, we're going to hit up Duncan's toy chest. And... <sighs> or Marv's telling him that, and Harry's like, Marv, will you shut the fuck up? Meanwhile, Kevin is recording this entire conversation, which, good on him, because that's going to help later on. So Harry even mentions that he's got a gun and that he threatens Kevin, if you say anything, I'm going to put a bullet between your eyes. And he says something like, hey, Marv, shut up. I'll feel better when we get this kid on ice. What does that mean? Kevin being clever. They are in a group of people that are getting ready to cross the street. And they are both manhandling this child between them. No one looks around. No one's like, well, that's weird. Why are they grabbing this little boy? Kevin, of course, sees a woman in front of him, pinches her ass, she turns around, recognizes Marv, and slaps him as, oh, because Kevin's like, oh, well, he did it. No, I meant that guy over there. This guy here actually pinched your ass. So she slaps them both. Kevin gets away and runs off into Central Park. Luckily, Kevin's able to get away in one of those horse carriages where he gets into the trunk. Which, now that Harry and Marv are on ground level of Central Park, they're looking around. They don't see him anywhere. And they mention how, oh, we'll wait until after dark. Kids are scared of the being... No, oh, oh, grown men go into Central Park and don't come out alive. Well, that's probably true. Oh, Marv! Oh, you would be so arrested. There's a bunch of school-age kids, probably about Kevin's age, 10 or 11. And he starts whipping... The hats off of all of them trying to find Kevin. Where? There will be an adult with this group of kids. Hey, there's a callback to Kevin's reindeer hat as Kevin, er, as Marv grabs a kid. He's like, hey, I got him. This kid's wearing glasses. And Harry's like, Marv, that's not him. Put him down. And then Harry's like, damn it, we should have shot that kid when we had the chance. All right, well, now we are going back to the shitty motel where the McAllisters are all staying. They're watching It's a Wonderful Life, and I think it's in Spanish this time. 
This must be a conjoining room, because we got, like, two large beds in each. The phone rings, and it's the airport security guy calling and say, Hey, we did find your son. He is in New York. And Kate's like, Alright, everybody, get your shit together. Get it packed. We are going to New York. Of course, all the kids, the brothers, the sisters, the cousins, everybody's like, Fuck yes, we're going to New York because of Kevin. Yes, we get a real vacation. They're thrilled, but of course... Kate is telling Peter that what happened was they confronted Kevin about using Peter's credit card. Kevin freaked out. He got scared. He ran away from the hotel. So now he is somewhere in New York. So apparently the New York police are not looking for him because when Kate tells Peter, hey, Kevin used your credit card to check in the Plaza Hotel, Kevin's like, well, do they still have him there? And Kate says no. She's like, do they still, is he still there? And the guy says, no, he is gone. They've lost him. And uh, Peter's like, damn it. All right, we're going to New York. Everybody, get your shit together. We're going to New York. Actually, um, Kevin, oh my goodness, guys, all these names. Peter does bring up a good point as he, the kids are all celebrating in the background. They're like, whoa, yeah, New York. Peter brings up a good point. He says, do you think Kevin would be smart enough to think to go to my brother's place? And she's like, well, wait, aren't they in Paris? Well, Kate's like, aren't they in Paris? And and Peter's like, well, no, they might have a house sitter. And then Kate brings up, well, wait a minute. You said they were renting. This place is ripped to shit. As Kevin goes to his aunt and uncle's house, Uncle Rob and Georgette. His uncle married the poodle from Oliver and Company. <laughs> I guess. And she was in New York, too. So, it's pretty dark in there. You don't really see a whole lot. And Kevin's trying to peek through the, um, the mail slot. And he's not really getting a whole, like, wow, it's pretty dark in there. And he's kind of calling out to his aunt and uncle, like, hey, it's me, your favorite nephew, you know, Kevin. This place is literally gutted. There, it's... There's nothing here. For everything's been ripped to shit. It's a dump. So now it's late at night. Kevin's walking the streets of New York in the dark by himself. He sees some weird, crazy people. He sees a couple prostitutes that apparently want to read him a bedtime story. Ew. And he sees a homeless man by a fire. He's like, oh! And then Kevin finds a, a taxi and he hails the taxi. like, hey, taxi! And he says, wow, it's scary in there. It's scary outside. Wow. The the guy turns around. He's got a lazy, fucked up eye. He's like, it's not any better in here, kid. Where the fuck is he? Is he in Shitsville, New York? The bad part of town? Alright, well, Kevin gets out of the cab and runs through Central Park. He gets his foot stuck in a, a, a rock. He's leaning against a rock. And he sees the pigeon lady, because he was feeding the pigeons, like, food and stuff. Like, his cookies, because they ate all his cookies. Like, I don't got any more food for you. I just grabbed a pack of cookies, and now they're gone. So, and he's trying to get away. He's screaming, like, oh, the pigeon lady, ah, I can't get my foot loose. Ah, and she helps get his foot loose. He takes off after screaming in her face, but he stops, turns back, and then 
He's like, oh, I'm sorry I screamed in your face. You don't really seem like a terrible person. And he said, gosh, it's so cold out here. It's like, I could really go for a cup of hot chocolate. So now they are at Carnegie Hall, I believe. Like up in the uh, the attic part where all the, uh, the storage um, stuff is for uh, the musicians and stuff. Probably where they keep everything. Oh, I love this little trick here she does. Uh, with him, like, hey, do the pigeons, like, know to come back to you or something? Like, and she pours some birdseed into Kevin's, um, mittened palm, and she says, throw it up in the air. They can hear it. Well, of course they can. As soon as it hits the ground, boom, all the pigeons in New York come to this one spot and start eating the birdseed. Okay, so Kevin lets us know it's Christmas Eve. Whoa, what time of night is this? It is dark, but it's December, so it probably gets dark at like 5 o'clock. Because it definitely gets dark here at 5 o'clock in December. So Kevin and the pigeon lady are kind of hanging up there, and Kevin's like, wow, this place is so great, as he kind of like uh, brushes his fingers along a harp. And she says, I've heard the world's great music from here. Like, that's awesome. And this woman, um, I gotta say, does have a uh, British accent, so that's also cool points there. So she lists some of the names that she's heard. Ella Fitzgerald, Count Basie, Frank Sinatra, really? Luciano Pavarotti. Ah, cool. So Kevin kind of asks her, like, hey, do you bring your friends up here as he's crumpling up uh, what's left of a cookie? I thought he they ate all the, his cookies. So she tells him, you know, I really don't have any friends. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. And she's like, I like the birds that I care for. You know, the people, they see me, but they, they try to ignore me, just like the pigeons. So she says that people kind of prefer that she wasn't part of the city. Like, what, because she's homeless? That's not right. Kevin says, I'm kind of like the pigeon of the house. It's kind of like me with my family. Kevin, bud, you have a house. This woman does not have a place to call home. Don't compare yourself to her. Because Kevin says because I'm the youngest, I'm kind of like the pigeon of the family. And she tells him how uh, everyone fights per for position. Everyone wants to be seen and heard. So Kevin's like, yeah, but I'm pretty much seen and heard. Well, he makes himself seen and heard, which, I mean, but then again, he says I also get sent to my room a lot. Well, yeah. At least you have a room to get sent to, Kevin. <laughs> this is really sad. She says, I wasn't always like this. You know, I did have a home and a job and a family. So what, did she have kids? Maybe she had kids, but then um, the kids kind of grew up and moved away. And then, you know, her husband, he said, the man that, she says, the man that I loved fell out of love with me. That is so sad. So it's almost like maybe her husband, like, didn't want to be married to her. Like, maybe he was cheating on her and she just lost, like, he took the house in the divorce. So now she's basically homeless. Oh, never mind. She doesn't have children. Kevin just asked. All right. No kids. But she did want children. She just says the man that I loved fell out of love with me. So she probably wasn't even married. Okay. So maybe she was going to be married. You know, she had a... A picture in her head of what her life would look like. She and her guy would get married. They'd have children. But then again, he decided to go in another direction. And she became a recluse. So she says, you know, that broke my heart. And whenever the chance to be loved 
again came along. I pretty much rejected it. So she had opportunities and men that probably wanted to be with her in a in relationship, but she flat out would reject them because, you know, she doesn't want to be hurting him, which is understandable. Kevin uses an analogy about his rollerblades, how he could only use them in his room and he couldn't use them on the floors and how eventually when he finally could use them somewhere other than his room, he outgrew them. Well, because that's why it's like, get, if you're going to get rollerblades for a kid, get them at least a size they're so bigger so that way as they grow into them, they will still fit. Rollerblades are not cheap. The last pair I got and I ended up returning um, was at least close to 50 fucking dollars. And that was the cheapest I could find them. And that was at Target. I don't know why it's so hard to find rollerblades, but I put them on. I used to have some as a teenager. I'm like, oh, I can do this. Like, no, I am un- uh, uncoordinated. <laughs> Lack of balance, everything. So she would run away from love and, you know, Kevin's like, oh, that just sounds really dumb. It's like, Kevin, but you're not a grown adult. You don't understand the the com- uh, complexities of having your heart broken by somebody and finding it hard to trust. That's why he, the whole thing with old man Marley, with the whole he and his fight, his son had a fight, a falling out, and he kept, like, not wanting to call his son for fear of being screamed at, so he just kept avoiding his son, and Kevin used that as a, oh, well, I'm afraid in my basement, I made myself to go down there to do laundry ones, and then I got over it. So, it's like, Kevin is too young to understand, like, the complexities that go into this. Like, when people say it's complicated, it's probably because it's complicated. You would not understand. And not just because you're a kid. So Kevin kind of brings up a good point after she says, um, my heart is not like a pair of your rollerblades, son. And he's like, well, my point is, if you're not going to use your heart, what does it matter if it gets broken? Like, what? (sighs) So, um, Kevin tells her that he's done some bad stuff. He wants to correct that, and she says, well, it's Christmas Eve, good deeds count extra tonight. So Kevin goes on, he's like, alright, he's got it in his head, he knows that Harry and Marv are going to hit up the toy store. He's like, I can get those kids that money, and I can st- I, if I stop this robbery, those kids will get the money that they need at that hospital. I love Kevin's parting words, like, I know you don't trust people, but you can trust me, because I'll be your friend. Oh, because they got hot chocolate, okay. So as Kevin's walking on his way to Duncan's toy chest, he sees this young boy sitting in a window. He's got a bathrobe on. He's from the children's hospital. He's probably very terminally ill. And Kevin and him, you know, have a wave exchange. Like, hey, how's it going? I'm going to save you. Don't worry about it. As Kevin's running along, we get one of those big clocks that says it's 9 o'clock. So he's got some work to do. So he's able to get into this house through this disgusting looking tube that goes into it. That must, yeah, that's a tube for like throwing down garbage and stuff because he had to open this like gate to get in there and you see a dumpster right there. Alright, let's get a look at this Operation Ho Ho Ho. We got tool chest, ballroom, bricks, big hole, ladder, fire. Paint can, tool bag, um, uh, what's that thing? 
by Kevin something. Garbage. It's a whole layout of this house. It's a blueprint. Oh, he must have gotten a... Oh, because it is an actual blueprint. But then he's got, like, different areas of that blueprint, like, sectioned off in red. Alright, so we see Kevin getting stuff out of that tool... That tall tool chest. We see him spraying that monster green goo all over a floor. We see him with the jumper cables on that, um... So he's pretty much planning out what everyone, what Harry and Marv are going to do. Like, he's planning it out in his head how they're going to react to this and what they're going to do after. So it's pretty much, yeah, it's a large montage of him getting everything set up, uh, pouring gasoline into a toilet and this and that. Um, I'm kind of going to go through this really fast just so that way we can get to everything else. <clears throat> So, alright, so Kevin's set up all of his traps all over that dilapidated excuse for a building. And now we see on the clock that it's actually midnight. So it took him three hours to get all that. Because the last time we saw what time it was, it was 9 p.m. We do see, I'm looking, it looks like a cop who locked the doors or was checking or something. And Harry and Marv, they're in those little houses. The employees clearly did not do a sweep of that place before they shut it down for the evening. They should have looked in those houses. I gotta say, with the lights turned off, but the Christmas decorations and lights and everything is all lit up. And it, it's really pretty in there, in this toy store. Okay, I'm calling bullshit on this big time because... That money is just sitting there in that trunk on the counter. Not to mention, the cash register is still filled with money. Why? 20s, 10s, 5s, and 1s, and change, and ugh. I'm sorry, but there's a special spot in hell for these guys where they're going to be going one day. Not the actors, the characters. So, and these guys are not being fast about it either. Like, oh, look at this money. And it's like, dude, there is a wide-ass front window where anybody walking past, it's New York. Even though it's midnight, people would still be walking past. And Kevin, sure enough, he goes to the window and he look, he's peering in and he sees them. So Kevin kind of sets up this, it looks like a miniature trash can and a... Long, um, not a 2x4, but maybe a little bigger than a 2x4. He leans it along, uh, like, on top of that, because he's anticipating once he gets their attention, they're going to come at, try to come after him through that window. One person's going to get on that board, the other one's going to jump on it, the other person's going to go flying, which is what he is hoping for. He takes a picture with a Polaroid, which I'm sure that glass, the glare of that glass is going to, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then he takes a brick with a note that's rubber banded around it to explain what happened so he can set the alarm off. So this is 1991, right? 91, 92? I think it's 91. Well, the thing that I'm wondering is how really was as far as video security back in the day did a lot of, I mean this is Duncan's toy chest he might not have invested in that 
But what other stores had video security back in 1991? I don't know. So they decide to run after Kevin. Harry gets on the board first, and when he realizes that realizes that he's on the board, you know he could just step off. But then Marv comes along, jumps on it, proceeding to. Uh, Harry flies into the air, it launches him into the air, and he lands on his back on the top of a car. He's gonna have back issues. Oh, I guess the only thing that happened for uh, Marv is he twisted his ankle on the board. <laughs> I wonder if they were to actually test that theory. I don't think that would work. It's not like a seesaw where if one person was to stand on a board that's on top of a trash can like that, and then the other person comes in and does it. I don't think you're going to... You're not going to be getting so much air that you f you're flying through the air. So, the thing is, Kate does decide... Because they're in New York now. Kate decides to just knock on the door. Holy moo, can you imagine if she had tried the door... She realizes no one's home, and she just leaves. Like, oh boy, if your mother had gotten into those traps, that would not have been good. So Kevin is hightailing it back to the apartment of his uncle's house as Harry and Marv chase after him. Okay, this is a this is a clear like American Tale thing where she gets in a taxi just as, and just as the taxi pulls away, Kevin is running in there. So Kevin climbs up that garbage chute, which is really nasty looking. I bet it stinks to high heaven. So Kevin's all set up. Now he's up on the very top, basically the roof, and he's got a bunch of bricks ready to go to slam down on their faces. So Kevin's all like, all right, I'm up here. Come and get me. And they, <laughs> what follows is a shouting, I wouldn't even call it a shouting match. It's Harry trying to expl explain away why he wants to kill Kevin. And Kevin's just going along naughty like, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, sure, I understand, of course. So every time Kevin throws down a brick, Harry ducks. He does not hit Harry at all, but he hits Marv like at least three damn times. The point where he's got... And it's unrealistic, you know. He's got a imprint of the brick on his forehead. And it keeps knocking him out. His mouth would be his mouth would be full of broken teeth. He'd have a broken nose, probably a gouged eyeball. Not to mention probably brain damage if not I mean, you're throwing it from that height and hitting someone square in the face, you're likely going to kill them. Especially if you're hitting them thrice in the face. Okay, how many pictures has Kevin snapped of them? At least three now that we know of, because he does take a picture of them from down below. So Marv just wants to dive in there, go like, just get him! And Harry is like, wait, Marv, Marv, do you not remember last year what happened? We were unprepared, and we underestimated this kid, and he almost killed us. So Harry is, he's ready to just lash out words at him, like, oh, it would make me feel so great to just shoot you, Kev um, kid. He doesn't even, he doesn't call him Kevin. I don't think he even knows Kevin's name. 
I like how Marva's like, hey, he's running scared. This isn't his house. Well, no shit. And I'm surprised they're not like, well, what the fuck are you doing here, New York kid? You're supposed to be in Chicago. So Harry is shouting up to Kevin, Sonny, he doesn't know Kevin's name. It would give me so much pleasure to just shoot you. And Kevin's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure. Harry's shouting this up. I'm sure that apartment building has got to have, that street's got to have other residents there. I mean, yes, it is Christmas Eve, but it's midnight. People are probably sleeping. If they're if they have families at home, they're they're all sleeping. They're waiting for Santa Claus. Harry's perfectly fine with knocking off a kid. Like he has no qualms, no guilt whatsoever about ending a person or be it a child life. So Harry just reasons with Kevin, like, hey, you throw down your camera and we'll just head out. I mean, we are in a hurry after all. The police are gonna be after us. And Kevin's like, oh, sure, why not? Here you go. And he tosses a brick down, which goes in slow motion, like, over, end over, end over, end. Hits Marv in the face. You get an imprint of the corners of the brick on his forehead. Knocks him out cold. Well, not completely cold, because Marv's got double vision now. And Harry's like, hey, Marv, how many fingers do you see? And Marv's all like, eight, I don't know, eight. Like, fuck, fuck you, forget you, forget you. you. You deal with that on your own. So Harry decides, turns back to Kevin and is like, hey, kid, you want to throw barracks? Go for it. Have at it. And Kevin's, okay. And Mar- Harry keeps, like, easily, m- like, maneuvering. So that way he avoids the brick every time, and poor Marv just keeps getting knocked out. Poor guy. Well, not really, because they are intent on wanting... Well, Harry's intent on wanting to kill Kevin. Marv, he's a bumbling idiot. So he calls up to Kevin, like, hey, you got any more since you just threw a total of three bricks now? I'm like, he's got a whole crap ton. He's got, like... At least 20 plus bricks there. He could be going all night. And your friend would be laying in a heap with his brains exposed on the sidewalk. While you're still taunting Kevin. He don't care. He can do this all night long. Alright, so divide and conquer. Since Kevin's done with the bricks, we got Harry trying to go up the fire escape. Of course, Kevin put that green goo on it. And as Harry leaps for it, his fingers slip off the bar, falls on his back, and now we have Marv, which is going to the door, and he's pulling on the doorknob. Of course, it's attached to a string, which is attached to a staple gun, and he's getting staples in his ass, in his balls, in his nose. Well, the first one, I think, was in his just on his nose, a staple, because he was an idiot who put his face to the empty hole of where the doorknob was and just yanked on that string. He's lucky he didn't get a staple in the eyeball and lose an eye. Oh, okay, so what Harry did is he got onto some, um, 
containers or, or something so that way he could take a flying leap at that fire escape. Like, you are not an acrobat, sir. You are wildly out of shape. So, fed up, Marv just kicks the doors open. And he's like, hey, I'm here. I'm in the house now. I'm surprised he doesn't look around like, what a fucking shithole this house is. So, there's a giant hole just as soon as Marv steps over the threshold of the doorway. He goes falling, like, at least a floor or so into the basement. Yeah, I think he fell at least two floors to the basement. So, of course, Harry goes to the door, but he remembers last year when he burned his hand, so he's lightly tapping on it just to make sure, like, is it hot? Is it hot? Nope, it's not hot. All right, I'm going in. And that door has a string or something attached to it, so it zips open this bag of heavy tools with wrenches and other things, that I'll knock Harry down where he stands in the doorway. Oh, well, he didn't actually. He, he kicked the door. What? These guys are just with their fourth entry. So back to Marv. He is in the basement. He marches along, not seeing all the green goo that's all over the basement floors. He goes sliding into a big bookcase or shelving unit on the wall filled with paint cans that just fall all over him and cover him probably in um, paint fluids and all this stuff. So Harry's now up. He's recovered from his concussion and now he is walking around the, I believe this has got to be the first or second floor. It might be the second floor because Marv's in the basement. He opens, he turns the light on, but then as he pulls the string on the light bulb, he kind of backs away slightly as he's doing it, because he's like, well, I don't know if this isn't going to lead to something falling on my face. So, now we cut back to Marv in the basement. He's covered, like, literally, his skin is soaked. His face, every, every inch of him is soaked in, in paint thinner, in paint, and... What do you do when your face is covered with paint? Well, you look for a sink with water to hopefully... His eyes have got to be burning. I bet he can barely see. So, Kevin's ready. He's right behind where this sink is. And he's got this... Um, it's like a battery thing or something that you would hook jumper cables to. So that way, when Marv turns that on, when he goes to touch the, uh, the faucets... Kevin's going to turn that on, so he's getting electric. He's getting fried to the point where you see his skeleton. And Kevin's behind the whole time while this is happening and cranking up the amount of charge on this um, battery charger thing. Marv's up or Harry's upstairs. He's still going. He's... Turn on two other light bulbs, but he's backing away from them just to make sure nothing falls on his head. So he goes into, I presume, what is a bathroom, because we have a toilet and a sink. But it's pretty bare bones in there. So two light bulbs he's turned on had no problem. There's one just above the doorway in this bathroom. Turns it on. It's attached to a blowtorch. Again, he... <laughs> 
He's not feeling the flames on his head burn his scalp until he looks into a mirror. He's like, oh my gosh, my head's on fire. So he goes and does this weird handstand on this toilet, lowers his head in, and boom, the whole, you hear this explosion. And the only thing that's wrong with him is his face is blackened, and so are his teeth. Mar uh, Marv tries to make it out of the basement by pulling out this rope that is he doesn't realize is attached to some um, concrete, like plaster. I think it's plaster. As he pulls on it and thinks it's sturdy enough to climb up, but then as he pull like jumps on the rope, tries to pull himself up, that releases the plaster bag of plaster that's up there on the floor there. So Marv tries to stack a bunch of stuff to climb out of the hole as he gets his hands on the floor, but the rest of it is, is dangling just below that hole, and everything just collapses <laughs> underneath him. Harry's checking out his reflection and checking out his blackened teeth. Kevin thinks it's all right. Like, hey, they're occupied. I can move to the next level via this ladder. And they're like, hey, I see you, I see you. And Kevin's like, don't you know that a kid always wins against two morons or two idiots? Yeah. All right, Marvin and Harry are both on the same level now. They go to the stairwell, and of course, they're familiar with last year with the whole paint can scenario down the stairs. So, because Marvin's like, hey, let's go get him. And Harry's like, duh, 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 duh. wait, 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 just watch. Okay, let's go get him, Marv. And they're, like, on the stair, and they're, like, moving their feet up and down to mimic that they're actually going up the stairs, but they're not. Kevin's point of view from up on the railing, he can't really see anything, so he is, haul like, shoving at least two paint cans. That's how many from the first movie. So Harry and Marv think it's safe to go up now. But Kevin's got them fooled. He's got this large, long, iron... I don't know what it iron something pole an iron pole and he shoves it down knocks both of them out into the basement so harry and marv work together to build a sturdy bunch of boxes and other things to be able to climb out of the hole now they so they go up this set of stairs again where there's a door And again, well, they're behind the door, and they hear what Kevin pushes down the stairs is a falling chest. They don't, a uh, falling tool chest. They don't know that, and they're trying to open the door, and then the tool chest rams the door and pushes them up against the wall. So Kevin has a rope where the roof is where all the bricks are from the beginning of this whole thing. He soaked it in kerosene. And he throws it over the side of the roof because he's going to climb down. So Kevin makes his way down to this platform and Harry and Mara finally reach the top of the roof. They look down. They see him down there. And Marv decides, hey, I'm going to take this brick and, brick and throw it at this child because he threw three to four bricks at my face. Kevin easily ducks. Like, Marv's got a shitty aim, so. So, of course, Marv's got a problem going out windows or anything where 
you're not there's no ground underneath your feet because uh, harry's like marv let's go let's go come on come on come on let's get down this rope and we'll go after him kevin's one step ahead of him as remember that rope is soaked in kerosene kevin takes a match lights the bottom of the rope so now of course harry and marv have to try to climb back up because they're halfway down the rope at this point so the fire quickly climbs up the rope. Harry and Marv can't take the heat, and they fall through those boards that are holding a bunch of like paint thinner and stuff like that because they get drenched in the stuff. So Kevin's ahead of them. He calls on the payphone to the police. Hey, the guys that robbed Duncan's toy chest, they're, they're trying to get me. Uh... I'm in Central Park. So he's setting them up like, this is where it's going to be. Look for fireworks. So that's when he bought those fireworks. I kind of wonder now, thinking about it, because he, he didn't even know that they were there in New York at the same time as he was. So I don't know. Because if you think about it, if he's thinking, hey, I'm going to get fireworks, and then I'm just going to bring, you're not bringing explosives on a plane. No. Oh, and he did, before he hangs up the phone, he does say, hurry, they've got a gun, because they threatened to shoot me. So as soon as uh, Kevin hangs up the phone, Harry and Marv are pretty close to him, and he says, hey, you guys better whatever, because I just called the cops, the cops are on their way. And Kevin's running across the street as a bus just drives right past him. He does not see that big amount of ice on that sidewalk there as he slips. He could have had a fucking concussion. Or possible brain damage. His ass hits that ice before his head does. It's like, oh, you're going to have a sore butt, buddy. You're going to have a sore butt. Alright, so they catch up to him, they got him between, Harry Marv got him be between them, they're in Central Park, of course they don't realize that somebody else is also in the park, it's the Pigeon Lady, as she hears all this going on, and Harry's still got that gun, but as he pulls it out, it is covered in paint thinner, it is oozing, it, almost, it looks like they're covered in molasses, and he's like, I didn't make it to the third grade, and you're not going to either. And he's, like, trying to shoot the kid. And all of a sudden, well, before he even gets a chance, the pigeon lady's got, like, a bucket full of seed, which she throws on them. She screams at Kevin to run because they're, like, trying to shoot the pigeon lady. Like, you pieces of crap. Ugh. Luckily, the pigeons all dive bomb Harry and Marv, and I'm surprised they didn't get their eyes poked out or other areas mutilated with their uh, the pigeon beaks. So um, Kevin takes off, but not before uh, saying thanks. Oh, they check out his bag, like, oh, we got some pictures here before they threaten to shoot his ass. They got every pigeon in... New York and probably every other area of the U.S. are all here to dive bomb Harry and Marv. Oh, of course, that's right. Kevin's got to shoot off those fireworks to alert the, the police. And the police show up and like, gosh, it looks like the 4th of July here. 
So the police shoot their guns in the air to kind of ward off the pigeons, and they got Harry and Marv. And Kevin was able to have the photos, because I think Harry or Marv might have taken them, because the police got him now. And also the tape that says, bad guys saying they'll kill me. So Harry and Marv get arrested. And of course Marv is like, oh, well, I'm going to sell out Harry. Like he's saying, he came up, Harry came up with this idea how we were going to steal the charity money. And we just broke out of prison a few days ago. And the fact that they're like, oh, the police tell him, well, you're late. The prisoners already exchanged their gifts. <laughs> and that's when, you know, Marv is, like, comes clean about everything. So Marv, of course, wants to make sure if he does get in the papers that they are no longer the wet bandits, they're the sticky bandits. So we go back to Duncan's toy chest. Uh, detective here picks up the brick with the note saying, hey, Mr. Duncan, I'm sorry. Looks like a kid broke your window, which Duncan reads the letter. It's Kevin saying, hey, I'm sorry you broke your window. I had to stop the bad guys. I hope you have insurance. NPS, thank you for the turtle dove. So, of course, Mr. Duncan's like, oh, the turtle dove. That boy. Oh, that's so sweet that he saved my store from being robbed. So, I don't know how I could have missed that uh, the family does go to the Plaza Hotel and... They're pretty angry about the fact that why would you let a child check into a hotel room? And they're like, oh, he had a very convincing story. And Kate's like, what kind of idiots do you have working here? And she's, the lady is like, beehive ladies all like, the finest in New York. Like, fuck off. And they mention about the credit card. And of course, Tim Curry is like, oh, well, I made the discovery. And they're like, yeah, you scared him away, you stupid piece of shit. Not because of you. Our kid is lost in one of the largest cities of, in America. And Kate has decided, like, hey, if Kevin can run around the city by himself, I can do it. I will locate him. And Peter's like, no, you're not going out there on Christmas Eve in New York at night. And Kate's like, hey, if our son can do it, I can do it. Really? Can you? Can you, though? So now, oh, um, Tim Curry, of course, has to say, oh, man, well, I really think you shouldn't do that. And she slaps him across the face, like, shut your mouth. And even Peter, like, hey, you need to mind your own damn business. You're the reason we got put in this problem in the first place because you scared our son away. Because you threatened him with the fact that he supposedly stole a credit card. Like, you piece of shit. So now Kate is kind of going up to people like, hey, here's a picture of my son. Have you seen him? They're all shaking their heads. And she's getting desperate. She sees a cop car and she says, officer, my son is missing. And the guy just kind of glances at the photo. Well, oh, have you contacted the police? And she's like, yes. And he just brushes it off like, oh, you know, well, then don't worry. We know what we're doing. It's like, really? Because you don't seem to give a shit. And she's like, sir, do you have kids? And he's like, yeah. And she says, well, what would you do if one of them were missing right now? And he looks at her and says, well, probably the same thing that you'd be doing. And I like how she kind of says, oh, if it were me, you know, my son is strong and everything. He can take care of himself. But me, no, I'd be lying dead in a gutter somewhere. Yeah, you're the one who could come out and search for your son. So, no, you're not all lost, Kate. And... 
she says, no, he needs to, he should be at home, not out on the streets of San Francisco at night. He needs to be home in front of his Christmas tree and ding, 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 Christmas tree. Hmm. It is New York. Where is there a light up Christmas tree? Rockefeller Center, Rockefeller Center. Kate's like, oh, can you send me, take me to Rockefeller Center? I think I know where my son is. Kevin is at Rockefeller Center and he's talking to the tree and saying how he really wants his family back. He just want, even just to speak to his mother, if only for a moment. Even if it's just for a minute, he wants to talk to her. Kate catches Kevin talking to the tree, and she's a little ways away. She's like, Kevin? And he's like, like and he kind of whispers to the tree, like, wow, that was fast. So they face each other, and they both apologize. Of course, they both have that, he's got that slow grin on his face, like, yeah, it's, everything's good now. And Kevin's like, oh, well, where is everyone else? And she's like, oh, they're, they're back at the hotel. So the hotel did them a solid and gave them a, like, the whole top floor to this whole family. So it's Christmas Day, and we get a truck loaded with gifts. They're not going to be able to take all those on the plane. They might have to ship them. They'll probably have to ship them to Chicago. I'd be like, Mr. Duncan, can you, like, ship that whole truck full to Chicago? All right, so everyone is decked out either on the floor, on a couch, in a bed. They're all over the place. I mean, this is... 14 people so yeah that's a lot of people and of course Kate and Peter and uh, Leslie and Frank they all get their own rooms Fuller gets his own damn bed and of course he's got like umpteen cans of coca-cola he piss all over that bed I love how <laughs> there's like at least three or four people in that one bed and Kevin's on the end of it but Fuller gets a king size all to himself, and he's got one, two, three, four cans of Coke that are empty. And he's got his arms, like, stretched behind him, like, oh, whole bed all to myself. And it smells like piss, because I probably pissed myself. So Fuller's the first one to wake up. He's like, he puts his glasses on. He's like, holy smokes, it's Christmas morning. So this wakes up Kevin, and he's like, hey, Fuller, I've been up all fucking night. It's like 6 a.m. I would not get your hopes up. All right, I don't think Santa Claus visits hotels. And, of course, Fuller's like, he's omnipresent. He's all over the place. What are you talking about, Kevin? And Fuller's all, like, riding high on the sugar rush of Coca-Cola because he's like, oh, my gosh, it's Christmas. Mom, Dad, wake up, blah, blah, blah. And this, of course, gets everyone else up. Oh, my gosh, they have a top level. Holy shit. And the whole family runs up the stairs, all the kids do, and the Christmas tree is, like, got presents a mile long, a mile wide in front of it. Like, you can't even get to the tree. You'd have to move, like, ten feet worth of presents. And the kids are all like, well, wait a second. Where did all these gifts come from? Because they didn't bring them with them on the plane or anything like that. I mean, we got presents in front of the tree. We got them on uh, coffee tables and chairs and on the floor and all over the place. 
So Kevin calls to his parents, like, Mom, Dad, get up, you gotta see this. They come out, and Buzz is all like, are you sure we're in the right room? So the kids are all like, oh my gosh, the gifts, the gifts! And Buzz tries to do the thing where you, like, wolf whistle with the fingers in the in the mouth, and of course, he does not do it right. And of course, he's like, hey, if it weren't for Kevin, we wouldn't be in this mess, so I think it's only fair that he opens the first gift. So he and Kev, Buzz and Kevin are on good terms for the time being. And of course, Buzz is like, okay, enough of this showy, like, gooey show of... What did he say? Hold on. So as he says, I think it's only fair that Kevin open up the first gift and then I will go and then so on and so forth. <laughs> Everyone applauds Kevin. Like, oh, way to go, Kevin. It's because of you we get this sweet-ass hotel room and everything and scored a trip to New York. He was going to say, Buzz was going to say, enough of this gooey shh, show of emotion. Because Kate and Peter are like, excuse me, this is Christmas Day. We don't swear in this family. So the kids, everyone's all ripping open gifts. Leslie, of course, like, oh, save the paper. We can use it next year. And the books. Do you know how much paper? People are ripping open gifts, Leslie. You really think you're going to be able to wrap a gift with ripped paper? And you're not going to be able to get all that on the... They're going to have to have that stuff shipped to them because they're not getting that all on the plane. No way. No way. So Kevin sees the turtle dove. He's like, oh, yeah. So he decides to take one out to the bird lady, pigeon lady. Like, hey, um, I got you something. So he gives her a turtle dove ornament, and she's kind of looking at it like, oh, what's this? And he's like, well, it's a turtle dove. If you have one, you have one now, and I have one, and as long as we have them, we'll be friends forever. I was like, buddy. Couldn't you guys have, like, given her a check for some money so she can eat or a gift card or, or something? I mean, she, I don't know. What, what if she's she got to eat? I don't know. Give her a check and help her turn her life around or something. Because I think that's the only pair of clothing she might have. And he tells her he won't forget her. I wish she, if she had, like, an address or a P.O. box or something that you could, like, get a hold of her or something or, like, make a trip. How's old man Marley? I know he didn't see him the same. And it's only been a year. I doubt they moved unless, oh, my gosh. What if, like, hey, there, um, Mr. Old Man Marley's, you know, like, son is like, hey, Dad, um, how about instead of living in this house... You come and live with us, and you can see your daughter on a daily basis. We have the room. I bet that could have happened. I bet that could have happened. And someone else is living in that house. Okay, well, we get a little fun thing here as Cedric delivers Kevin's bill. Why wouldn't... If they can give them a suite, why can't they waive that hotel bill? Maybe, I know, it's probably not their policy, and the only, I mean, I'm sure that suite probably costs more than that hotel bill for all that room service. So, of course, Cedric wants a tip, and Buzz just takes the gum out of his mouth and puts it on in Cedric's gloved finger. 967! That is almost a thousand fucking dollars! Holy shit! Oh my gosh, okay, so 
six six custard flan is 48 bucks a pastry cart is 210 strawberry eight strawberry tarts is 47 wait 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 step wait a minute hold on flan pastry cart 210 76 for the strawberry tarts eight of them and then 47 dollars for 36 chocolate covered cherries holy fuck oh boy tax and gratitude gratuity i can't pronounce that word 239 dollars in taxes comes to a total of 967 that's just on room service holy shit kevin i told you to stay out of that mini bar see i told you they charge you so Buzz is excited, like, oh, Dad, here's Kevin's uh, room service bill. So instead of Buzz screaming at Kevin, Kevin, what'd you do to my room? It's Peter saying, Kevin, you ordered $967 on room service. Don't come back to this hotel because <laughs> I'm not happy with you. And Kevin can hear, Peter shouts so loud that Kevin can hear it from Central Park as he takes off running. And that concludes the movie. Oh, this was so fun, guys. I know it's like almost three hours, if not three hours long. Um, <laughs> I, didn't even, I checked Home Alone, the commentary I did last year, and it was two hours. I don't know how this got to be so long, but I hope you enjoy it either way. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a great Christmas.